This is Jocko Podcast number 141 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. March 15th, 1631. Most loving and kind father and mother, my humble duty remembered unto you, trusting in God you are in good health, and I pray, remember my love unto my brother Joseph and thank him for his kindness that I found at his hand in London. I know, loving father, and I do confess that I was an undutiful child unto you when I lived there with you and by you, for which I am much sorrowful and grieved for it, trusting in God that he will guide me that I will never offend you so any more. And I trust in God that you will forgive me for it. My writing unto you is to let you understand what a country this New England is where we live. Here are but a few Indians. A great part of them died this winter. It was thought it was of the plague. Here is timber good store and acorns good store. And here is good store of fish if we had boats to go for it and lines to serve fishing. People here are subject to diseases. For there, for here, 200 odd have died of scurvy and of the burning fever and beside as many lie lame. All Sudbury men are dead but three, and three women and some children. Here is no cloth to be had to make no apparel and shoes. So I pray, Father, send me four or five yards of cloth to make some apparel. And loving Father, though I be far distant from you, yet I pray you remember me as your child. And we do not know how long we may subsist. I pray, do not put away your shop stuff, for I think that in the end, if I live, it must be my living, for we do not know how long this plantation will stand. God hath taken away the chiefest stud in the land, Mr. Johnson, and the lady Arabella, his wife, which was the chiefest man of estate in the land and one that would have done most good. So, Father, I pray, consider of my cause, for here will be but a very poor thing, no being without loving, Father, your help with provisions from old England. I thought to come home in this ship, for my provisions were almost all spent, but that I humbly thank you for your great love and kindness in sending some provisions, or else I should and mine have been half famished. But now I will, if it please God that I have my health, I will plant what corn I can. My wife remembers her humble duty unto you and to my mother, and my love to Brother Joseph. Thus I leave you to the protection of Almighty God. Watertown, New England. And that is an unsigned letter. From, as I said, 1631. So these are settlers coming into New England, 
the, the letter is written back to a father in England and obviously written from a place called New England, which is where I grew up and where I am in the woods of right now in Franklin County, Maine. And we have a guest today that is also a New Englander, a jiu-jitsu black belt, a business owner, and a friend of mine by the name of Peter Roberts. He's been on the podcast before, so if you haven't listened to Podcast 93 yet and you need to go get the backstory of how I met Peter and how this little deal got underway, go listen to Podcast 93 and then you can come back here and listen to the rest of this one. So here we go, Pete. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, and I'm extremely honored to be back on and was a little bit nervous to come back on. <laughs> but uh, after all your razzing and you know motivating and flanking me, <laughs> and after what you just read, I'm ready to go. Yeah, we got it pretty easy compared to those guys. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because you know I live in Southern California. Echo, as we know, is from Hawaii. Sure. And what's the temperature variation in Hawaii? In what? In Maine? Just in, no, no. In Hawaii, how much does the temperature vary? Oh, one degree. Just kidding. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. 10? It, it, yes. 20, we're talking 10 20, year round, something like know, that. 60, 25, okay. I think. In the past three days, there was a 40 degree change here in the weather in Maine. It went from like 90 to 50. Yeah, it yeah. absolutely gives you a false sense of hope. One day, actually, it took. <laughs> These people that settled here clearly were some sturdy stock that came up here. You think about what they went through and leaving the comforts of England. And what I was thinking about is it's not like these were woodsmen from England, right? No. They weren't hunters from England. I mean, I'm sure some of them were, but they were people from England, from London. And then they were all of a sudden surrounded by this. And you can't prepare for like there's nothing you can do conditioning wise to prepare for <laughs> this you just you you get here and you survive yeah. you know and that's what they were doing I, well, you're talking about like because his dad had sent him provisions that was his insurance policy mm. you know i mean hey here's what we can offer you and i never thought about on the other side side of things as a parent like like who who knows what they were, they had for work or jobs or who knows if they sent them everything they had mm-hmm. financially what they could afford to send their son to keep him alive in New England, and you've got to pretty much figure that when your kid sails across the sea in sixteen thirty one, oh, you man. are never going to see them again, right? Right? right. You've got to figure you're never going to see him again. Yeah, that's got to be the thought. Um, all right, so welcome back. Like I said, now last podcast, obviously we talked about origin. Boom. And we talked about where it started, how it started, the trials and tribulations, to say the least, that you went through getting it to that point. But it's been a pretty, so you were on the podcast one year ago, because we were up at this origin camp one year ago, and now you're back on it again. But it's been a big year. Been a huge year. Been a a big year of growth for the company. How many people? We've grown by another 30 people. So total, we're looking at 40 plus plus people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this time last year we were, yeah, right around 12 to 15. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, you know what is crazy is, I don't know if I told you this, this time last year, like I don't, I don't get real um, stressed out. Mm -hmm. This time last year we had the immersion camp, (laughs) right? We had, uh, 
the grand opening of the factory. Mm-hmm. We had just moved a 60,000 square foot factory into our factory like we, like two or three weeks prior and it was still moving into and there were some other things going on with business or whatever and and I, I, I don't know if I told you this one night I left camp during this during camp you did not tell me that I left camp and went home I was by myself and my family was still here and I was laying in bed and I couldn't uh, I couldn't get to sleep and I just felt really weird like my my body felt weird and all of a sudden my heart I felt like it was beating through my chest mm. and I was like well, what is going on come to find out I had an anxiety attack never had one in my life I haven't had one since and there was more going so on. So what does that, that actually mean? I don't even I don't know what that know, means. No, dude, I had never. I that mean, sounds 30, like some echo. Thirty-eight. Or what are you talking <laughs> dude, about? Thirty-eight years. <laughs> actually, you're cruising super hard. Yeah, so there's no so hard. Immune, yeah. Thirty-eight years old, and it was like I don't know what brought it on. I think there was a lot of. So what uh, does that actually mean? So it means your your blood. Your I think your blood goes pressure up, goes up, and scientifically, I don't know. All I know is it was like. Goosh, I thought goosh, you were going to tell me goosh. heart attack. No, dude, I had, and I was like. Whoa, and I just, man. I, so how do you know it was an anxiety attack? I told somebody what happened. And then they said, that's oh, you had an anxiety, anxiety attack. attack. I was like, okay, I'm not having one of those again. <laughs> that was because we took down two elephants instead of one. Do you think that's the most stressed you've ever been then? Uh, no, I mean, I, again, I, I don't feel like it was, uh, no. I mean, no, no not, not even close. I mean, so we what had, do you think brought it on? I think it was a little bit of the unknown of what's to come. Now this is int- now it just got interesting because um, you're sitting here complaining about the or not complaining but you're making a statement about the unknown. Yeah. Now imagine getting on board of a oh, little dude. wooden ship and Couldn't sailing imagine. across the country that's you never there's no pictures. You don't know what this place looks like. Right. right. You have expectations of You've things. heard about Indians? Right. With Tomahawks, <laughs> right? That's what you've heard about. Right. Yeah, that's got to be stressful. So that was sort of a, a point when we when you were on last time, it was at sort of everything was launching at one time. New factory. You had all this stuff going on. And, and the day after we recorded that podcast. Was what? The day after I went home and slept that night, we recorded the podcast. Okay. Dang. I remember sitting in the factory that night and uh, a friend of mine drove by late night and we were recording and all the lights were on in the factory mm-hmm. and and uh, what a it was it was just crazy you know the tr- the old New England church bells in the background yeah. it was just yeah. a awesome awesome time and that kind of like got me to reset like my body only calmed down at that point and I reset and good never had it before never had a ha- after well I'll tell you what was crazy from my perspective is when we were first linking up when we were buying the building, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of, you know, hey, cool, we're buying a building and we got this going on. And then I get up there and I go in the building and the building's, it's pretty big, you know? And I'm thinking, well, this is a big, pretty big building that we have. And do we need, I'm thinking, you know, to myself, do we need this big of a building? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, well, do we get a little crazy with this building? And then I come back now, one year later, and we have too small of a building in yeah. one year. Yeah. And the, so instead of there being four people, five people stitching at a time, everyone's stitching. I mean, there's machines are filled. The, the shipping area is completely filled with product going out. That's a lot of, that's a lot of, that's, that's like an exponential. 
How much more are you shipping a day now compared to a year ago? We are shipping probably 10 times as much right now. <laughs> and it's growing daily exponentially. Wow. You know, the, the thing is, is like just to frame this, just to frame this, right? It's, it's a fallout shelter. I mean, that's what we bought was a fallout shelter. It was built during the Cold War. Mm. This thing is reinforced. Like when they brought that 800 amp power in, because we, we had to bring three phase power in, they had to change the transformers because we were sucking all the power from the town. <laughs> so they, they literally, and, and <laughs> that was Dang, crazy. Bro. And so I was like negotiating with the power company, Central Main Power, and you know, I'd get them up there, and I'd tell them our vision, get them buy out, like, because it's a company, they're gonna they're negotiate gonna a little bit. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll put up solar. Exactly. We'll put up wind. <laughs> so they uh, they came in, they put all the new transformers on on the, the pole, you know, and ran it in the building, and then the electrical company, the electricians who were friends also of, of us, and they're like, okay, we gotta bore through the concrete. And they they, barely were able to bore through that concrete. I have a, I have a, what do you call it? A cylinder. Mm -hmm. They took two cylinders oh. out of the wall. And he was like, that was so hard <laughs> because you know, concrete gets harder as it ages, yeah. but it is the towns. The factory is the town's fallout shelter. Wow. I don't know if I ever told you that. No, you when you, so when you go well, down the stairs, it says fallout shelter. Yeah, I have saw that, but I thought it was, I didn't know that was the purpose of the whole building. Originally, Sent, uh, originally, the power company built it, but oh, because okay. it was built during the Cold War, oh, it became the fallout they shelter. Probably a tax break to put the fallout shelter probably or something like that. Probably. So you added f forty people. How many products? I mean, it's just as far as products. I mean, we're adding monthly. You know, I mean, nutrition on the nutritional side, and with our partnership, like in terms of the Jocko products, which have you know have been ridiculously awesome for the masses along with some of the new stuff we're doing in jujitsu and on the lifestyle end of things as we as we grow the the vision and we grow and we bring our message proliferate our message to the masses you know we're just we're providing people with what they want you mm -hmm. know and you know what's funny is some of that providing them with what they want is this kind of innate thing like we had charlie brenneman here the uh, spaniard he used to fight in the ufc big ufc fighter and he came into the factory yesterday and he walked in the back door and he like walked in 10 steps and he stopped. And he's a pretty cerebral guy, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't get to the top level in the UFC if you're not a cerebral person like that. And he looked at me and he said, hey, he said, hey Pete, you told me there were no stupid questions. Cause that's what I always preface everything with. I said, no, no, shoot. He's like, why do I feel the way I feel? And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, like a little bit uh, shocked and confused. And I said, well, that's because it's natural to feel that way when you haven't seen people building products with their hands in a factory environment. We've only heard about it through the television or books because it all has gone away. In our generation, we're about the same age. You know, we didn't see it, you know. Uh, maybe when we were kids as it was just leaving. And he was just like, man, this is just incredible. You know, just couldn't wrap his head around it. And he was just wandering around that factory up and down like, holy cow, man, this is, 
and, the, and and once you see it, you feel it. It's a physical change. You know, it's like when you have, and, and this is, might be excessive, but when you have your first child and you see your child, there's like this chemical reaction. Man, when you walk into a factory where there is people working with their hands and working together to bring this thing to life, it's it's bringing something to life in a different way, in another parallel. So it's awesome to see. At what point did factory get a negative connotation do you think i have my own theories which i'll share please do because when people go oh factory work they think oh that's bad you're you're sitting there doing some menial task over and over again right that's, that's what some people think of factory work and i'll agree with you and i bet you that is part of what charlie was feeling when he walked in there what you think of a factory mm-hmm. is not what a factory is especially in our case right in in their portrayed uh, negatively but it's it's all education I, I, here's what I, here's what happened in that letter he said we don't have any textiles to make apparel and clothing or probably leather yet tanned leather to make shoes and accessories things you need for survival so new englanders were forced into a position and we talk about like hands and daylight right Mm -hmm. they had their hands and they had daylight and they had whatever they brought for livestock to be able to build their farms. They cleared the fields by hand. They cut the trees by hand. And if you've ever stumped a tree by hand, that's an absolute nightmare. One tree could take a full day to stump it, to pull the stumps and roots out of the ground, to build a field, to have the cows, to raise the cattle. Have you, you stumped know, a crazy. tree by hand? Oh yeah. Yeah. What's that process? You got to like? so to stump a tree by hand. You have to after you cut the tree down, uh-huh. you dig around like all the roots, uh-huh. and then you take an axe and you cut the roots as low as you can, and you pull the stump up. And the stump is massively heavy because it's it's the it's the wood and it's all the organics that have grown around it. It comes up with it. It's a challenge. Yeah, I've never done that without a machine. Dude. <laughs> without a machine, which they didn't have. Yeah. You know, and so there was this uh, there was this necessity to live, right? And and okay, we have to be self-sufficient. We can't rely on provisions from England. We have to become self-sufficient. So the direction and the focus of the people in in as a union was was amazing when people come together for a common cause. We know that's an amazing thing. And as immigration happened, you know, the French and the Irish and, and everything else, they, they all came together to build these factories to harness the power of New England's rivers. And they had to. And, and, but what happens as after had to, now you have it. And over the generations, it's expected and you become complacent. And complacency is what tore us down because we didn't fight hard enough to keep our factories here. We just didn't. We didn't fight hard enough. Why? Because we're complacent, you know? Everyone's making a great wage, and this is 150 years later. The textile mills and the spinning mills and the dye houses and the the you know, the boot companies and the and the leather factories and the tanneries and all of those things were right around here, right around this area. But it becomes expected. And it went away, you know, and it went away in the early 2000s, late 90s. So the timeline touches us, right? But didn't have impact as it did on some of the older folks. Did we get 
sold a bill of good at some point that factory like as people were trying to move factories overseas so they could save money did we get sold a bill of goods that hey factory work isn't what you want to be doing well what i think is that through the complacency you know like if you look at our grandparents for instance which they told us the stories Hey, I used to go to the mill when I was eight. I'd go to the tannery. I'd pull tacks out of the hides. That was my grandfather. His mother worked in the Lowell spinning mills, right? So she was in Lowell, Massachusetts, and she worked on the spinning mills, you know, making making the um, the wool yarn or the cotton yarn to weave the textiles. She actually used to, at the, at the end of the shift, she would sweep up all the excess wool she'd go home and she'd spin it by hand mm. and she'd make uh blankets and stuff with it which we we have one in the family which is pretty cool oh, that's awesome so you hear these stories but you heard it as through the eyes of hardship so immediately you're thinking that this is a hard life so that's how we were taught uh and so the way that we were brought up more so is that you need to go to college to get an education so you don't have the hardship factory work now is a totally different beast it's not like back then yes eight years old bare feet working Mm -hmm. that's what happened and and i think that the mindset the gritty mindset i think what what was was trying to take place was that kind of the hard work and work ethic and grit, you know, trying to be passed down to us, our, our parents and then us. But what didn't happen was the experiential knowledge of it. So you just heard it and you know how it is when you don't experiencing experience something you really don't know. And we became complacent and then the jobs left. They just left, you know, trade opened up and they left. I mean, big business, take it away. And the the reverberation. That By the way, that right there is you know when people complain about the corporate, you know corporate yeah. making decisions. That's what they're complaining about, is that you're not because because it's true at a corporation you can make a decision one hundred percent based on bottom line, and unfortunately those aren't stu- usually or you can be tempted to make bad strategic decisions. And even though you might win in the short term for this quarter or next quarter or this fiscal year, in the long run, what do you end up with? Exactly. What do you end up with? And I'm not going to blame it on, let's say, the owners and administrators and the folks above, right? And I'm not going to blame it on the workers. I'm going to blame it on the detachment and to take, you know, what, what your, what the whole thing you do with leadership, right? The culture became bad. And I'm going to tell you why I believe this. Our, our, our third loom we bought, we, after we discovered the first two, I, uh, discovered this Italian guy. His name was Mario. And I, I just started calling people trying to find like there was this mill in Sanford, Maine, a huge mill, like a million square feet. And I heard it, I heard it had shut down and I called the town and I was like, Hey, I heard about this mill. Somebody said there might be some equipment in there, some old equipment, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, Oh yeah. Um, this guy, Mario owns it. Maybe you should try calling 
the tax assessor. I said, okay. So I called the tax assessor. They're like, um, yeah, yeah, we, we know this person, Mario. Yeah, he, uh, he shut the mill down. Uh, and uh, we have some contact information for him. But it was very cold. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. So he gave me the number and I called and I left a message. And I said, hey, uh, my name's Pete Roberts. Uh, I'm trying to bring textiles back to Maine. And I'd like to talk to you about your mill. And he called me back and he's an old guy and he's been, he's Italian. And the Italians are the ones that make the really good looms for a long, long, long time. You know, about a hundred years, 200 years, whatever it was. And his family had been in weaving and in textiles for a hundred years. And he said to me, Pete, he said, let me tell you something in his Italian accent. He said, we didn't want to shut the doors. He said, but I did. He said, I shut the doors, I locked it up, and I walked away. And every single piece of machinery is still in that mill. I said, what? I'm getting chills. I'm getting chills. Every single piece of machinery is still in that mill. He said, if you can do something about that, I'm willing to work with you. I said, open the doors for me, man. He goes, let me tell you something. When I went to the town, when they basically wanted to take advantage of me on the tax base, and I still had 40 people working there, they wouldn't work with me. He said, it wasn't me that wanted to strip it away. It was a mixture. He said, yeah, I had to shut the doors because I was forced to. You for they forced my hand. The people didn't want to lose their jobs, but at the same time, he said the people, the people were basically putting pressure on him, right? Like they're looking up like, hey, you can pay us more. Hey, you can do this. Hey, you can do this. And then he said, when I went to the town and they wouldn't help us with any of this, he goes, what am I going to do? Shut the doors and walk away. So we have a people that's complacent. We have a town that has expect, expects what they expect and is inflexible. And you put, you put the owner in a position where he needs to react. He needs to make a decision. And his decision was shut the doors and walk away. That's what he did. You want me to tell that story about that mill? Yeah. Dude, so we, we, uh, we get there and he's like, call this guy Jim. He's at the mill. He is, he is the night watch or whatever. He's the caretaker for the property. And I met Jim and he's got this big white beard, this old gentleman. And he used to make the warps that made that wolf the fabric. <clears throat> and he was very protective of everything, like very protective. And you know, what's funny is history channel. They had, they sent a crew with us for this. Uh, they were looking at doing a TV show way back in, Anyways, so we had this whole film crew, and we, we have this. I'll have to show this to you sometime. It's crazy. So he unlocked. So it's all overgrown grass. The windows are smashed. The the bricks are basically like falling apart. I mean, it's just deteriorated. And he opens the door and walks in, and the, the smell of years of no heat and the cold and the heat and the cold. Everything was peeled and all the floorboards were punky and popped up, nails sticking up and everything. But we walked in that mill and it was exactly 
set up the way he left it. I'm talking huge cotton processing machines made out of wood with needles to separate, to card the cotton, to pull the organics out. I'm talking a, I would say, a football field long spinning machines to spin yarn. And then Jim, after I started talking to him about what I'm, what we're doing, because he was just cold. He was just like, what number, what number loom were you getting from him? That was number three. This number is number three. three. Okay. And the warper. So we, uh, he, he, and then I saw like six looms on the floor and I was like, you guys have looms? He's like, let me show you something. And were they rusted? Were they broken and worn or were they in okay condition? They had not been run for 20 years, I think. So they were in okay condition because they were between floors. So the top floor was just destroyed. Mm -hmm. And you know, all those bins we have in the pro shop, Yeah, they came from that mill. All those canvas bins. So the, that top floor was destroyed. There was just bird's nest and shit everywhere, right? All over everything. And then they were in the middle floors. But he's like, let me show you something. I'm like, okay. And we follow him down this staircase. And I'm like, this guy's going to like murder us or something. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, what is going on? We walk in and he pulls his flashlight up like this. And it's like a layer of dragons. There's got to be 60, 70 looms in the basement wow. of this place. And that's where we pulled the shit what out. Is a lo- what does a loom cost right now? A brand new loom. If we were gonna go brand new, probably 120 maybe, mm-hmm. you know? And Where'd you pay for loom number three? Loom number three, I negotiated 2,500 bucks. <laughs> and <laughs> And we'll have- Are we buying the rest of those? We should. Yeah. Dude, it's just to move them is like yeah. they're nine thousand pounds each. <laughs> yeah, they're massive. Joe Joe ran the show. Need some more Jocko White tea on that. Yeah, one. we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Double dose. We uh, I told uh, so. Anyways, we we negotiated a deal. I spent uh, it was like ten grand, and we got like a, a a few different things. All massive machines. The warper with the creel. Mm. We got a loom. Uh, the in the pro shop the 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 back winding machine oh, that yeah, I yeah, refurbished yeah, yeah, yeah. that came out of there. And the most important thing we got out of that place was the punch card machine to punch the patterns to go in the looms. That's in my office. I keep that secured with lock and (laughs) that. So that's that's how you actually decide what how that loom is gonna weave together the material so it looks like dragon weave or it looks like Exactly. So that's that's the that's the deal. I mean that place was and I'm still like trying to work with Mario to get more equipment, but yeah, it's tricky. Okay, so you've been you were kind of doing that. You've been doing that. Uh, well, obviously, once we met, you know, you're at 12 people. You're growing. You you obviously I gave you a copy of Extreme Ownership. You read that. How is that? Has that played a role? How has that played a role? Because I know you've told me it's played a role. But yeah. like, where did you see yourself going? Okay, you know what? Here's something I need to do different. And I've said this, I said this on an interview the other day that, you know, someone was talking about how, what kind of, uh, what'd they say, background check did I do on you before we started working together? Right. And is that what the, was that the word? No, due diligence. Due what diligence, kind of due yeah. diligence? And I, I, you know, I was explaining how we spent a lot of time talking and via Skype mm-hmm. and what I was really listening to and hearing was, you know, you weren't making excuses about anything. You know, you explained to me, hey, we tried to do this. 
I didn't know what I was doing. I had to learn that. Then I tried to do this other thing, and guess what? I f- didn't have enough capital. I had to figure out another way. You weren't saying you, you didn't blame anybody else for anything. I mean, and and you know, we're we're right now at a great point with Origin, and you weren't always at a great point. I mean, you've had you've had to do what every bit struggling business had to do, or small business has to do. That is struggle to grow. And when I talked to you, you 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 already had the attitude of taking ownership of everything you could. But I know in talking to you that you've also pulled a lot of stuff out and said, oh yeah, this is this has had an impact. Oh yeah, I mean, there's tons of stuff. There's tons of stuff. You know, first of all, what jujitsu has done for me is exposed me. That's it, what it does. Mm-hmm. It exposes your weaknesses, yeah. so you get better. And that mindset, that jujitsu mindset, I like being exposed because our brains have changed, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes this work. Like if 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 some if I if I don't see the weakness and somebody exposes it, the first thing I do is feel like a schmuck for a second. But then I'm like, okay, well, show me how I can get better. You know, and there's so many times I've like texted you late night, hey man, can you talk? Can you help me out with this issue? Can you help me out with this problem? Uh, you know, because leadership for me has only come through playing sports, and then running business, right? I wasn't in war. I, I didn't see the worst of humanity and, and how decisions can affect some someone living or dying. I didn't see that, you know? And I, I It's a whole nother level, you know? And knowing that you ha- had and had those leadership skills that were, you know, that you conditioned to is really what it was. You know, I just knew there was another level. And so when I actually listened to Extreme Ownership for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was just humbled by that, you know, by the book. The, the two things for me that really, and of course, I, I went to the muster too, and I'd recommend if you're in business, any leadership position, regardless of industry, go. Like, <laughs> It'll be the most valuable thing you do for yourself. Like, it's hard to explain, but I can tell you being there in the presence, first of all, of warriors, but also their stories is powerful. You know, connecting with them on a personal level outside of the muster, that's powerful. Decentralized command changed the game for us. Man. You know, I, I didn't think I was a control freak. <laughs> I, I just, I was, I was always like, you need to bring me a better idea. It's got to be better than my idea, right? Mm-hmm. I will go with anybody's idea. It's got to be better though. You know, it's got to make more sense. And I'll, I'll, I'll switch. I'll shut it down and switch immediately. Mm-hmm. But you know what I found out is I wasn't giving people an opportunity to give me their idea. They we had had a great culture and we have a great culture but i wasn't giving them the opportunity to be leaders i had kind of nurtured a kind of i will i will help you decide i'll help you mm-hmm. you know you come to me and i'll help you mm-hmm. and once i shifted that and i actually had a lot of our our you know managers and leaders listen to extreme ownership and i'll tell you what the ones who listened, I knew they would become leaders. And the ones who gave me slack about it, 
I knew there's another path for them. Mm-hmm. Because you you have to humble yourself, you know, to to listen and, and then not not only listen but apply it. So and then I've gotten a little off course with the decentralized command too. I've given a little too much in, you know, because of that kind of leadership, which is a whole nother thing, (laughs) right? So, but then I've had come at me like uh, people make decisions but not be the right decisions, you know, and have to bite my tongue about it. At the same time, I've had the, the leadership skewed, you know, like decentralized command can be skewed from the other side. Well, I, this person needs to do this. Or sometimes like, you know, sometimes you just need to make a decision. Well, you can take that and you can say, well, I'm just going to make a decision every time. Mm-hmm. No, that's not what we're talking about here. You know, so a decentralized command for us changed the game. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't be able to do, you would not be able to do anything that you're doing right now if you were trying to control everything the, worry, the way you were a year and a half, two years ago. Impossible. Exactly. And the growth and... I would say that the, the the transition between growth phases, which is a lot of transition, has been so smooth because we're all on the same page. You know, we're all on the same page. And winning at all costs, which is a big one for me, because that's that's where you gotta completely drop your ego. Mm-hmm. We've had some conversations about that. Yeah, well and, and interesting. I talked about winning at all costs at the muster. I haven't really uh exposed it to everyone but you know it's the basic concept is that when we say winning at all costs we think of that from an attitude of being completely aggressive moving forward never stopping no matter what happens I'm gonna execute the plan that I came up with and that sounds good and it gets everyone all fired up but the reality is and as a matter of fact you and I were just talking about this uh, somebody here at camp said basically is it okay to quit, I feel like I I don't want to quit, but I I've got something going on. Basically, a guy, great guy, hard worker, has a business, been running his business. It's his. It was his. His goal was to get this business up and running. A very hard business, a very labor intensive business, a very fickle business, agriculture, mm-hmm. and. He's been grinding. He was at camp last year. I talked to him a lot last year. I asked me a lot of questions about you know leadership and ownership and business and all that. Comes back this year, and you know he came to me this morning, and really I think this and I told him this 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 conversation that we had made it feel like it was worthwhile for me to come to camp because he said to me, you know I I feel like is it ever okay to quit? I know I'm not supposed to. You know, he was in the Marine Corps. It's like we don't quit. And I said, "Have you listened to? Have listened to all the podcasts?" And he goes, "Yeah." And I go, "Because I, I answered this question. I, I answered this question. The question is, is it ever okay to quit?" And so you and I just had this conversation. And you said, "Knee jerk reactions." Your knee jerk reactions. No, you can never no, quit. Never and you quit. know, I come from the SEAL teams, right. where our our motto is actually. Never quit. That's actually our one of our mantras. And then I said, okay, Pete, if you came up with a plan that was driving our business into the ground, but you were just never going to quit, 
would that be good? No. And you're like, no, okay, there you <laughs> okay, go. This you is go. the dichotomy. It doesn't you're work. trickster. Yeah, I'm a little trickster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little trickster. So so that's the problem. If you have something that is that is like that, that whether it's, hey, I want you to charge this machine gun nest, or whether it's, um, hey, I want you to continue to execute this plan, or whether it's, hey, I want you to, even something like this, hey, uh, you should keep training hard, right? Guess what? My knee's a little bit tweaked. Don't quit. Yeah, well, yeah. now you blow your knee out. Right. So the fact of the matter is sometimes you got to look at, so then I said, okay, what is your long-term strategic goal? Like your actual strategic goal? Because his goal was, the goal of his was not to build that business. The goal of his was to be able to take care of his family and be around his family and do something with his family that he could carry on as a legacy. That was his goal. It wasn't working out. The, 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 the business part of it wasn't working out. I don't know what he's going to do. But I can tell you, I saw him an hour later, and he had a big smile on his face. And I said, you feel lighter, don't you? And he goes, yes, I do feel lighter. That Thank you. But the point is, not that he's necessarily going to stop, but he's going to maybe shift his direction a little bit, or he's going to attack it with a different perspective. He's going to do something different. He realized, man, we talk about this in jiu-jitsu all the time. Yeah. I just got done teaching the white belts. I'm like, the knee shield? You're not gonna go through it. You can't go through it. it. You cannot go through, it's humanly impossible. You cannot go through the knee shield. You have to go around it, you have to go under it, you have to back away from it, you gotta do something else. So, if I say go through that knee shield and you just go forward, forward, forward and you never quit, guess how long you're gonna be there? Forever, because you <laughs> can't physically move your Yeah, your you just can't do it. <laughs> so this idea of like never quitting, it's something that we have to be careful about. We have to be careful that what we're not quitting is something strategic. And we have to continually check that that strategy, that strategic goal that we're moving towards is actually something that we want. I had this conversation with Leif several years ago about Echelon Front. And he was he was like, oh, you know, we got to expand. And I said, yeah, absolutely, we got to expand. And we were talking about how we were going to do it. And we started looking at like how many gigs and how many numbers and how many things and how many events and how many companies we're going to be in. And I said, let me ask you this. Why do we want to expand in that manner? Is that really what we want is to expand in that way? And we thought about it. And it's like, no, actually, we want to do something a lot smarter than that. So we quit. <laughs> Basically, you adapted. We adapted. But yeah. we did. We, we, we adapted. But I mean, to look at it in the blunt language, of like, oh, we quit this direction. But that's but finality, what? too. It is. The... the we didn't quit. We didn't quit the strategic goal right. of growing, of spreading the word, of helping people learn, of bringing leaders up to their their potential. That's what the goal is. The goal isn't, hey, we want to have X amount of clients. We would rather have the clients that really adopt what we say, that really absorb what we say, that we can really have an impact on. That's what we're looking to do. So, yeah, those kind of things are are important to consider. And I know, <laughs> I know that's some of the conversations that we've had about. Winning at all costs. So winning at all costs means sometimes you do things that on the surface, they don't seem like winning moves. I know. And That's you know the hard part. You know what's, what's crazy is my wife read Extreme Ownership. She devoured it. You better watch out now, boy. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you know, and sometimes, and you know, 99% of the time she applies it. But sometimes she'll say to me, I just don't feel like playing your game today. You ever heard that? <laughs> Not from my wife, no. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I work with my wife. We have a yeah. great working relationship. And actually, that's something that we should talk about because you do have a great working relationship with your wife. I hear you on the phone. And, and that is basically her saying, like, I don't know what she's trying to say, but I do <laughs> what you do in extreme ownership. I'll do it. Yeah. It was some of the toughest, some of the toughest conversations will be like, it's six o'clock or seven o'clock and she's still working to, to make sure we win at all costs. She's actually physically shipping product with the rest of the team and she'll work till probably 10 to do that on occasion. And I'll walk out and I'll be like, how's it going? And she'll be like, good. And I'll be like, I haven't trained this week. I was thinking about going to train. And then she'll give me the look. <laughs> That's not me winning at all costs. And it's kind of like one of those things you got to balance. Like, what's the most important thing here to make happen? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she, when she's in the game, she'll be like, I know you need that. Mm-hmm. So you, do, I will handle this. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. In the military, it's called a mutually supporting relationship. Mutually supporting That's what relationship. it's called. You're going to take care of me this time. And tomorrow, I got you. Yeah. You know, when you're all sore from you trained last night, guess what? You can get in here and stay late night. Exactly. And let me go do something relaxing. Exactly. But, but you know, there's occasions where, like, winning at all costs is, like, it really is sometimes you're just, like, thinking, like, oh, man, I have to, I've got to freaking do this, bro. I got to, I got to. And it's, like, I, I'll go in my office and I'll sit down and I'll, like put my hands on the desk and I'll just like put my head down and close my eyes and be like, reset, go. And then just go do it. Yeah. Like just move. I had this conversation with another camper up here that was like, you know, I love extreme ownership, but um, one of my friends ha- has had trouble with it. And I said, oh, well, what type of trouble have they had with extreme ownership? Well, they're trying, he's trying to get his team to take ownership and they're not taking ownership. And I said, okay, more, expand. And and basically, it's like, oh, the team messed something up. And he's like, yeah. you guys got to take ownership with it and fix it. And that, in your mind, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to get them to take ownership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the problem. That's the problem. That's, That's the, problem. the problem. The real, just so everybody knows, yeah. the real thing <laughs> that you do is you say, oh, I see that you guys failed on the project. I obviously let you down. I obviously didn't give you clear enough guidance. I right. didn't explain it to you well enough. I didn't give you the resources that you need. I didn't, and you don't say this part, you, I didn't micromanage you enough. Right, exactly. Because when you start saying, okay, I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna make sure we get that done. Hey, you know what? We only, I only met with you three times over three weeks during that project. That's my fault. Now we're gonna meet every day because I wanna make sure that we're tracking. Yeah. And if you do that, you can will stuff to happen. I mean, you can make things happen through force of will. And so in that situation, you get down there, you're going to meet every day, you're going to check at the end of the day, you're going to make sure that we're making progress on the project that we're, that we're supposed to. And your team now goes, oh, damn, we don't want this. Bro, we got this. Back off. And then you know what they just did? They took ownership. Exactly. And you win. You know what I have to be very careful of, though, is because of the fragility of human resources, mm-hmm. which are also our, in our culture, it's our family, too, is saying the word failure. You know, and and I think the thing is, and where the transition happens is when you understand that, and what I'm trying to get like Amanda to understand is that extreme ownership is, it's not a game. 
It's actually a way of thinking. And you really have to believe that. So when you're saying, hey, I gave you too much, I gave you, I gave you so much, there's absolutely no way you could handle that. I failed you by asking you to do that. The, the words coming out of your mouth, you have to believe. A lot of people will say it, but they don't believe it. Innately, they don't believe it. Totally. And that is, that is the ego, and that is actually getting it. And you have to take yourself, and you have to put yourself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. And if you can't detach and do that, then you are playing a game. Yeah. You're playing a game, and it's yeah, not a game. It's not a game. Yeah, and I've said this one before where, where someone says, you know, when I get, get in front of my team and I say, hey, guys, this was my fault that this happens. And then someone on the team goes, yeah, it was your fault. And, you know, when I ask, I'll ask groups, I'll ask companies that. I say, what do you say to that? And people get all like, they get confused. They say, well, you should, t- you should tell them about what the mistakes that they made so they can see. And it's like, no. no. What you actually say is when, some, when you say, hey, this was my fault, and they say, yeah, it is your fault, and you say, I know, that's what I just said. Yeah. It is absolutely my fault. Here's the mistakes that I made. Here's what I'm gonna do to fix them. So we do better next time. I usually just say, I won't let you down again. I'll make sure this doesn't happen. Yep. I was down there fixing a loom the other day. Yeah, you were Did I tell you about that? No. Our loom tech, you know how you asked about when we first started working together, you're like, well, bro, what if, what if something happens to one of these old timers that helps you with the machinery? And I was like, we find a way. How many moving parts are on a loom? Um, there's got to be 10,000 parts. It, it looks like the most insane contraption. It looks like when you look at one and you see it moving, you, you think to yourself, there's no way that this works. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. There's, I know. There's millions of little like needles. What are they, little hooks or yeah, something? Yeah, little hooks and like, yarns. And, and it's and a little brain. And stuff. And it's crazy. It's crazy. We were, our, our, so Lenny, our, our loom guy who got us set up with everything and refurbished everything. And when I say, hey, we bought a loom for 2,500 bucks, mm-hmm. I mean like we, we got a frame for yeah, 20. Yeah. It's like getting a car frame and now we're gonna build a car. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it costs money to get these things back up and going. And most importantly, knowledge, because we have to have all the parts machined from scratch that they don't make <sighs> anymore. And then you spend 10 grand on parts that you had machined and they don't work. And that's why loom number three is still down. <laughs> Which I'm failing It was at. such a great story oh, until that so part. <laughs> loom number three, salvage. Still so, doesn't work. Yeah, we, we, we actually, uh, on my podcast, we just talked about if we made the right decision. You'll have to listen to that. Yeah. Did we make the right decision or should we have gone and gotten a note and spent a quarter million dollars on new looms and waited the six months for the build out to get the looms and uh, so anyways, Lenny got sick and he's the old timer. He used to work in the Bates mill to weave, you know, the huge mill, he mm-hmm. was the one. He got sick and I could tell that my team was, let's say, failing. Mm-hmm. And that was one of those times recently. That's about a month ago where I sat in my seat and I just kind of was like, this isn't working and it's not gonna work if you don't drag your ass downstairs into the bunker, into the fallout shelter, because that's where these things are, into the dragon's lair and fix it and show them there is a way to fix it. Go hands on. And so we went down there and we started stripping things apart, completely apart and figuring it out. And after a solid seven to 10 days, 
not hours, seven to 10 days, we got it back up and running. And you know what that did to the, that team, that 21-year-old? Oh, I, I actually know what it did. Go ahead. No, you tell me. Well, people ask me all the time, what can we do to make our team tighter? And I say, if you want your team to be tighter, if you want to have better morale, do hard things together. Do hard things together. It raises everyone's confidence. Man, awesome. It brings everyone together on the team. It makes you feel like you got over something. A lot of companies that I work with now are companies that survived the economic downturn yeah. and they talk about it like they went to war and they survived and now we're tight and we're bros and nothing's ever gonna tear us apart. Yeah, I'm getting the chills when you're thinking about that. That recession was war on business. Yeah, the, uh, the military units, what makes a military unit have morale? Well, you put them through boot camp and they go through hard things together. And then you take a special operations unit, you put them through tougher training and it, it makes them even tighter. And then when you take a, a unit, a, a conventional force unit or a spec ops unit and you put them into combat, they're gonna get even tighter. And the harder the combat, the tighter they get. So you and your crew spending seven days 12 hour days trying to figure out this significant problem and overcoming it, it brings you, t it brings us tighter together. And like your 21 year old kid that's learning how to do this, I don't know why I'm calling the kid, he's a man with a job making stuff happen. He feels, all right, I've got value, I've got confidence, I can, I, this machine, this machine doesn't run me, I run this machine. Exactly. And you know what was funny is when, like there, there's a, there, people are looking, that's the truth. People are looking for like, what's the, how are we gonna solve this? And I have this rule, it's, it's basically ask me once, ask me twice, ask me a third time, I'm doing something wrong. And what had happened with the loom, because I knew what a nightmare it was gonna be, is I decentralized from it too much. Mm. So they were in my office over the course of the first two to three days, it might have even been a week, at least a dozen times. Got it. So and your red flag for you need to, you're too far detached from something yeah. is ask once, you're not too yeah. far detached, nope. it's just, just an issue. Ask twice, details, okay. I left the details yep. out. Okay, here's a little bit more. Yep. Third time, gotta get in the I'm weeds going. Yep. yep, Gotta make yep. something happen. And, that, and that's just my own, and I think that that helps, like, just helps. For you sure, know, for sure. Somebody, if I'm in a in a combat situation, someone calls me up and say, hey Jocko, we got movers over there? And I'm like, uh, no, we're good. They call me again, hey, I think I see something. Uh, no, there's nothing being tracked. Hey, we got some situation down here. Guess what, I'm gonna go find out what's going on. And you know what the other thing is, is like what, to that end is, we, we were sitting in the golf cart the other day, We and I was on the phone with Jill, mm -hmm. and she called me, and we're at camp right now, we're mm -hmm. at the Origin Immersion Camp, and she, she called me and she's like, hey, the cover stitch waistbanding machine is down for you know our, mm. our, our elastic waistband. And I said, okay, did you call Bill? And she's like, yes, but he can't come in. And I said, let me call him. She said, okay, call him. Bill, can you come in? I can't come in till one. I said, good enough, but you can be there today. He said, yes, I called Jill. I said, hey, I need you to ask if Maggie, which is one of our stitches, can stay late so that she, Bill's gonna come in, fix the machine, so that she can get production done. What does that do to Jill? Let me dig a little deeper into that machine. So when we showed up at the factory the other day, everything was back up and going without Bill. Mm -hmm. 
So at the same time, that that flank, and and I've learned a lot about flanking. <laughs> I would have driven over there. Yeah. I would have left the session, but showing her that somebody else is going to be have to be put out. I'm going to be put out. Bill's going to be a little put out. Maggie's going to be put out because she has to work late. So there's three people that are willing and ready, and there's one that probably could just dig a little bit deeper to see what the problem is and come to find out she fixed it. Boom. And Jill getting it done. Yeah. So is is you know, it's just and and she and I'm sure and I haven't talked to her yet because I haven't seen her since then, but I'm sure she thought about that and learned from it because she's listened to Extreme Ownership and I mean, she can't wait for the next book, Dichotomy of Leadership. But she's listened and and read and she listens to your podcast and everybody in the factory listens <laughs> to the podcast. We've got Cindy up in shipping who's like she's got it on screech. You know, you walk by like hey Cindy she's like, What? I'm listening to Jocko <laughs> And I'm like, Okay, you keep she's rocking up, up there, girl. So I know I, I swung by there the other day and she's like, Look at my setup and yeah, she's yeah, got yeah. like four YouTube tabs open. Jocko podcast, Jocko podcast, Jocko podcast. She's, she's not listening to four at once, but she might start doing <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. She's getting she's, after it yeah, big time. Is. So, and yeah, a lot of the staff listens to the podcast, and I get a lot of questions from them about because leadership is a skill that is it's it's acquired, mm-hmm. you know, through practice for sure. You know, people. I used to believe. I'm, I, I don't know if I've told you. That, I used to believe that you were a born leader. You ever heard that? I have, and I've discussed this before. There yeah. is, you are born with some leadership qualities. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. You can improve. Oh and, yeah. And the more you pay attention to it, the more you will improve. There's only one person that can't improve their leadership, and that's the person who lacks humility. Yeah. If they lack humility, they're not going to get any better. Yep. Because they're not doing anything wrong. In their mind, they're not doing anything wrong. You know what the hardest thing though is, at the factory is. We have a lot of different walks of life of folks from different walks of life. Mm-hmm. But this is old New England. It's not quite the New England we're talking about, but there's a lot of parallels because of the recession and then the lack of jobs and the lack of factories. So for the folks who didn't go to college, and I don't even think, I'm, I'm going to say right out, like I haven't said to my kids, which college are you going to? I've asked them many times, what would you like to do? Mm-hmm. But I'm not one of those parents who's like, which college are you going to? Where do you, you know? And I think that's okay too. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just, I've seen both ends of the spectrum from my own experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to pressure them to, to go into the trades. There's great money, you know, and all these different opportunities, especially with the resurgence of manufacturing. There's going to be so many opportunities. But these people from the different walks of life, Sometimes they are finding their value in life by doing the work they're doing. And what I found is something I didn't know existed and discovered is that they, they make the product together as a community. And that product goes to the consumer. And in the past, that ended. Those two things, there was one and there was the other. Now, the person who puts their hands on it on this end and the person who puts their hand on it on the other end have a relationship because of new media, because of social media. And so they don't just get fulfillment by making the product. They also get fulfillment by seeing that product being used and being appreciated. And with extreme ownership, when this person here on this end, the, the worker, the worker, 
they're finding that they find their their being in it they find so much value it's like it's a powerful thing i have to be very careful in my own leadership ways not to take that away from them Mm -hmm. and so that approach has got to be perfect per person Mm -hmm. So I have to shift the way I talk Modulate. to people. Modulate. Yeah. yeah, I got to got to shift. I will. I, I can have like twenty five conversations, and I would have it twenty five different ways depending on who the person is. Yeah, and you learn that by practice. Yeah, yeah. So, speaking of too much ownership, and the dichotomy of extreme ownership, because there is one. Uh, you got. I got you one of the copies of the uh the new book dichotomy leadership where'd that fall out in your brain well i sat down i'm not a big reader and because it was an audio book i got the paper copy (laughs) i was like okay so i sat down uh uh on a dock uh on uh at our little cabin on the lake and i sat down and everybody was around me and i was just in it and it sucked me in and I've never had a book suck me in. Dang. Yeah. So it's the first one I ever got sucked into and all of a sudden I looked up and the sun was going down behind the mountains and everybody was gone. <laughs> I, I was like, what happened? And you know, it's it's one of, the, I'm gonna tell you like extreme ownership, everybody needs to read or listen to. Dichotomy of leadership is actually going to correct your brain like you think you know because you read that book now it's time for us to tweak what you're thinking so it's powerful and i think for anybody like my little sister and my brother-in-law they're ed techs and they're it's they're in a whole different game you know they're working with children like it's just so valuable it's Life lessons. You know, something I realized, so as Leif and I have been talking about why we wrote the book, The Dichotomy of Leadership, why we picked that topic, and what we've been saying is most of the questions that we would get asked would be about the dichotomy of leadership. That's completely true. But I'll tell you, on top of that, more important, most of the answers that I give are that there's a dichotomy in leadership and you need to be balanced. That is what you, even today, I got asked at camp, hey, Jocko, I'm a white belt, but I wanna be default aggressive. But I also hear you tell me to relax all the time. Which one is it? What do you want me to do? Should I be default aggressive and get after it? Yeah. (laughs) Or you you tell me relax and I actually, you know, I say relax harder, right? You gotta relax harder. Which one do you want me to do? And I said, well, luckily, and Leif's there too. I'm like, luckily, for this very reason, Leif and I just wrote a book called The Dichotomy of Leadership. And there's a dichotomy with aggression. Even though I say default aggressive and I say that's gotta be your mindset, that's gotta be your default mode is you're gonna be aggressive and you're gonna go get after it. And there's a chapter in the book, that doesn't mean that you run to your death. Right. You have to balance that with caution, with, with energy conservation, with not wasting movement on the mat, with not wasting capital in business, without burning bridges, like all those things you have to be balanced. And that's why I think like you, that's a great way of putting it. It's gonna, it's gonna recalibrate and fix your brain. Yes, yes. <laughs> I've had a lot of these conversations with Belittle, you know? Okay. Uh, because something, cause he's, he's a different beast than I am. I'm pretty, I'm pretty passive. Like. Mm-hmm. Like, do your job, do it right, 
like I'll help anywhere I can. And, and that's just in general, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm there, like I'm there. I'm always on contact me any time of day in some, in some, and so B little's in a, in a leadership position. Sometimes be like Jocko says, you ever Ooh, get that? Oh, Jocko yeah. says. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So the Jocko says thing in, you know, Jocko Weak. says default aggressive. Jocko says this. And the idea isn't that in your brain you're thinking Jocko says. The the idea is that you 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 rewire your brain so that innately you're saying something and not thinking about what Jocko would say. You know, you want to make it your own, and that's real ownership. And we were talking about a little a little bit ago. Real ownership is that you're not just saying it, but you're understanding what you're saying and and why you're saying it. And the words are coming not as a game, but as truth, because that's what you believe. Yeah. And that I think takes a long time for people. I thought where you're going with the Jocko says is when when the subordinate uses your name to make something happen, right? Well, exactly, like, exactly. Like, hey, well, hey, Jocko said this is where we're gonna do things. And it's like, okay, well, that's not, if, why do you need to say that? That's the same as saying I outrank you. That's the same as saying, look, exactly. I outrank you, yeah, and so we're it. gonna do it. Yeah. Hey, Jocko said that's what he wants. It doesn't make any sense. Jocko said that's what he wants. Like, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't use your boss's name as your authority. Right. If what your boss has told you to make happen doesn't make sense, and you can't explain why it makes sense, you need to go to back to your boss and say, hey boss, I'm having some trouble here. Can you explain to me why we're doing it this way so I can explain that down the chain of command to the troops so they know what's going on in the field. And you, and you know what else is real important and valuable that I think I took away this year is like the 70-30, the 80-20, the 90-10. If, if, if there's a, a decision that needs to be made, and someone else is 70% there, mm-hmm. and you're the leader, and in your mind, you're 90% there, mm-hmm. what do you do? Yep. All day long, pick Go that 70%. Go with the 70%. Yeah. And that has been a hard lesson for me. Yeah. But I'm getting it. Did I, did I tell you about the fabric the other day? No. <laughs> I went down uh, Friday, because I was like, hey, we gotta cut the factory. We got you know 400 people coming to the factory from all over the world. I want this place to look tight. And I walked down the spiral staircase into the mm-hmm. bunker, and we have the, the the dumpster, the daily dump, right? And in the dumpster is these fabric rolls, and there's like you know ten or twenty yards on each one. And John was there; he's he's overseeing, and he was our first employee, and he knows the process, he knows the factory, he knows everything, and he's overseeing everything. And I uh, I told Ryan Mickler this the other day. I put my hand on the fabric, and I, I had this attachment to it. And I was like, I was like petting it, and I was like, okay, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I look up and I go, John, I said, why is this fabric in the dumpster? It was the first fabric we made. That's why I have an attachment to it. He's like, it had to go, and I was like. <laughs> wiping the tear from my eye. I'm like, how do I handle this situation? I'm thinking, why didn't he cut off a yard or like, like why is it in the dumpster? Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to pull it out of the dumpster because I didn't want to overrule what he, his decision he had yeah, made. Yeah. And he said, Pete, he said, you know how many times we've cut that by accident because it's a white and how much time we've wasted doing that. 
and moving it around every time we need to get something. I said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, so I threw it away and I go, okay, as I kind of like stroked my hand along the dumpster and kept walking into the factory. (laughs) It was a 50-50. It wasn't a 70-30, 80-20. It was a 50-50. I wanted to go back down that night and pull it all out of the dumpster before Mm -hmm. the truck came in the morning. I didn't. I just left it. And you know what? It felt great. Why? Because we don't need it. Yeah. We don't need it. He's right. We don't freaking need that fabric. You know, if I wanted to weave fabric like that, we have the knowledge base. We can weave fabric like that. It doesn't matter. Right? What does it matter? Because it's I have this emotional attachment to it because it was the first fabric we wove. What? Whatever. It's gone. I'm good. Move on. Had to let him make the decision. That's that's a rough one. That reminds. That's a rough one. That's like your I've first surfboard. About, I've talked about this. I've got a lot of t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I got a kind of issue there with t-shirts. Go. Yeah, Because yeah. I have like from jujitsu tournaments that I was in in 1996. You gotta keep those. And 1997 and 1999 and and rock concerts that I went to and just cool whatever t-shirts that I got along the way. And my wife. Yeah. Oh, I've got one for you. She'd be like, you. John, she wants to throw those right in the dumpster. Yeah. No, they're in the drawer. But just so everybody <laughs> knows, just so everybody knows, before You're you lucky. send me this recommendation, because I know on social media, a lot of people hit me up last time saying, hey, you can get quilts made with your old t-shirts. Yeah. So I, I know that. And if it comes down to it. We've got a factory full of workers who can make you quilts. Oh. They would love to. Dang. Oh, they would all be like, we're making Jocko a quilt. Yeah. <laughs> I'd actually shut down the factory for a day. I, I literally would for an exercise, just like a, a group exercise. Send them over, dude. We'll make it happen. Brought one Dang. in on that big time. We can make it happen <laughs> for you too. Actually. How many t-shirts do you have? Plenty. Oh. Plenty. Dang. Yeah. 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 I, hey. had a, I, had a, I had a shirt. I had a sweatshirt. I wore it every day for mm. 10 years. Yeah. It was yellow. Oh, I know. My wife called it Big Bird. Mm-hmm. She threw out Big oh, Bird. Oh. <laughs> I'm emotionally scarred from it. Yeah. I had a pair of shorts. I had a pair of like crappy, real thin cotton. Cotton? Yeah. Real cotton. thin cotton. cotton. Yeah. Cotton. Um, they were the most comfortable shorts ever. And I'd wear them around the house on like a Saturday, you know, just cruising. Oh, and. Yeah. Maybe this was the end of my cruising career. My wife just Thank threw him away. Just threw him away. No reason. Just a ruthless woman. <laughs> <laughs> Devastated him. So that, that actually explains a lot because we're, we're so on the same page. It's kind of scary when it comes to like making durable goods and making all the new gear we're, we're going to be launching next year. Is that, and you know what somebody said to me recently is people are in life, their, their attention is being pulled and it's it's everywhere. Your mind is everywhere. The last thing you want to do is be uncomfortable. That's the last thing you want. You can be uncomfortable in life with everything you're doing, but when we're sitting here, I'm sitting here in some new graveling shorts because they're. I looked in my suitcase. I dug through everything. I was like, what was it? What am I going to be comfortable in? It's these freaking graveling shorts and this t-shirt. I'm comfortable. Yeah, you know and. I think that's valuable. I think it's important or else they wouldn't have been talking about it in the 1600s. We don't have textiles or boots to make the apparel we need to be able to work, be yeah. comfortable and work. Yeah. Well, and I actually call me an, an idiot, but I was more interested in that piece just from the hardships. And as I was reading, it, I was like, he's talking about 
about yards of cloth and apparel that I, 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 I feel like a, a brilliant move for talking about that. Yeah. But, yeah. But it was just like kind of random. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Not bad. Um, you know, as we talk about leadership a lot, always, and we talk, but what's interesting, I always talk about leadership and people will sometimes ask the kind of typical question of what's the difference between leadership and management? Or do you think leaders and managers are the same thing? And I always say, hey, look, you lead people and you manage money and you manage timelines and you manage process. You are actively involved on a daily basis in doing both, in doing both, in both leading people and managing the process. So you've done not just growth in leadership this year, but also in, in process and management. Yeah, and I'm not the best. You know, I mean, we have a great team of people that help. Like, I'm all over the place when it comes to that as far as I enjoy it. But at the same time, I need to be kept in check. Like, you can spend too much time in one area mm-hmm. and not in the other area. But as far as the process and the team, for me, they're one and the same. If you build the team, then you'll get the process together because you're all moving the same direction. It's like draft. It's like uh, uh, drafting. You on know, a bicycle. Yeah, you know, you're gonna draft. It's the same thing. One one person's out front and they're kind of doing this. And you know what? We're not catching any wind behind them, and we're just able to coast and move behind them and make our changes. Those little micro changes we need to make as we flow. And when you get a whole line of cars like that, you're all just flowing. And that's what it's like in the factory. So it's not me. You know, I mean, I'm taking your leadership techniques and. And you know these uh, these this way of thinking is what it is. It's a way of thinking, and I'm just kind of filtering it down the chain. And we've got good people, and together we make it happen. So I may have started it, but it's not me. It's everyone. So for the process, do the process then is decentralized. You've decentralized the way that you create the process. Totally, and you know how <laughs> exactly. And it's jujitsu, and it's extreme ownership, and it's everything. It. It's a beautiful thing, and you're able to scale at such a rate when you just take, when you detach your emotion, and you decentralize command, and you really believe in it and understand winning at all costs. That's the trifecta, and that's what happens. So we have this one employee, Jill, uh, Jen, and she runs the pants line, and she's been doing such a good job with the game, the way. That I said to her, I had a conversation with her. Hey, listen, I think you got this. She's like, what? I said, setting up the new lines. You get the process. You get, you're going to develop the process because you understand what needs to take place because you're, you've got total buy-in, you know, and she, and she's just not buying into, she's buying, she's buying into it. As, as, I don't even know how to freaking explain it. Uh, and it sounds kind of weird, but it's total belief. Mm-hmm. No, that's not weird. You know, it's belief in, the, in, the, in, in it. And when you really believe in it and you're not going home and saying, yeah, Pete wants me to listen to Jocko podcast or Pete wants me to read this book or Pete asked me to do this. When, you, when you're going home and you're saying to your significant other, hey, you know what? I was asked to do this. And I did it and it worked 
and it's changing my life, not just at work. It's actually changing my life here, and I want to do this better in life. Yeah. yeah that's powerful. I, I look at the difference between someone that says, oh, this is what I have to do at work, and this is what I am doing at work. Yeah, exactly. Because when they say that, that's inherent in that statement is they own it. They own it. Yep. And when you get people that own it, it's theirs. Yeah. And they're going to make it right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So you've accomplished a lot with this. We have. Yeah. Well, it started with you. Um, you you are you have to be driven by ego, just like all of us are. You know, to to oh, yeah. have this vision and think and believe that you can take <laughs> yeah. a twenty year old loop and get that thing up and running and make clothes with it. That's yeah. freaking crazy. Yeah. But you also do a great job of putting that ego in check. And I'm wondering how how do you discriminate between what's positive ego and what's good? and what's negative ego and what's bad. And to, to give a little bit of context with a military, with Task Unit Bruiser, right? I want every one of those guys to believe that we are the best task unit in the history of the world. That's who we are. And at the same time, the dichotomy is, I want them to think, oh, we need to do better. We're not good enough. We need to keep training. We can't cut any corners. And that's basically what you have to do. I have to do as individuals. I know I'm always trying to do that. What do you see from your perspective? How do you know when it's your positive ego that's going to help drive things in a positive way versus your ne- your negative ego that's going to negatively impact decisions that you're supposed to make, not based on what's the best for the company or best for the future or best for long term, but best thing for your little psycho ego that yeah. wants to just eat all these cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, I think I think to succeed in life, you have to have a a confidence, an ego, a swagger, and I like swagger, uh, but you, you also have to be a bit naive in. Ego makes you naive is really what it is. Mm. And, and I'll give you a good example. Uh, I have this, my buddy, uh, Dustin Ireland, and he's an A-10 pilot, and he's like the top A-10 pilot in the world. You know, he taught at Red Flag. He's worked for the Joint Chiefs now, and he's making his way up. Who knows where he'll end up? When we were kids, we used to do everything together, but we were so competitive. And... I had an ego. He had a little bit of an ego. By seventh grade, we were we were almost dunking basketballs. By eighth grade, we were both dunking basketballs. I'm six three. He's five nine. Hmm. How does that happen? Well, you've got to believe you can, right? And the way you believe you can is by having a mindset that you can't be stopped. That's ego. That's swagger. That's confidence. But it's different. It's different believing it and putting on blinders Mm. and getting into a fog than looking side to side as you're moving forward and making sure there's not a fog in front of you and the fog is emotion and the fog is, is, when when that wells up inside you because you need to prove something that you're going to do this you're going to be this i think that 
it's relationship based too, where if someone's coming at you negatively and you're meeting that negativity with any emo, any emotional response, you got ego, you got ego. And at that point you got to self check. And I think the difference is, is those who are able to self check know how to adjust their ego on the fly. You know, you've got to know how to self check. And a lot of that comes through understanding that there's a lot of people chasing you that are born every day that are going to do great things that you're here for a moment in time and that you're not special, mm-hmm. but believe you're special because you are, you know, and, and there's a dichotomy in that also. So I think there's a lot to it. And honestly, I don't think I was a man until I was in my thirties and I still think I'm working towards manhood. And I truly believe that mm-hmm. I truly believe like extreme ownership. I believe I'm still working towards manhood and I have a long freaking way to go. So I don't know how you teach that. I think it's, I think you can listen to the lessons of others. You know, you listen to your podcast, which is very powerful for people to listen to. And I think a lot of people here, that's, that's the reason when you talk to them, you know, in, in these private conversations, they, they, it just seems like they all have the same type of mindset. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I mean, ego, ego is a strong and powerful tool. If it's utilized right and you harness that ego, you can do great things. But if you hang on to it, like it's your only tool, you're going to fail. You gotta be careful with that one. There's a difference too between ego and pride. Yeah. And they're very similar. Maybe they're the same. Maybe they're just close cousins. Maybe they're brothers and sisters. Maybe they're twins. Maybe. But but because, you know, pride is one of the seven deadly sins. But at the same time, of course you want people to be proud of what they do. And, you know, I know like again with a seal platoon you want those guys to get done with a block of training and have pride that they did it better that they worked harder that they got after it that's what you want but you just have to make sure that it doesn't inf- over inflate and start to cause problems elsewhere well ego is like if you want to if you want to distill it it's like you know there's no i in team mm-hmm. that's ego when when it's individualized it's ego when it's a team effort and everyone's on the same page and moving towards the same purpose, it's confidence, you know, and it can, and, and it can be defined by, is it about you or is it about this? Is it about all of us or is it just about me? So that's a constant struggle. I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, I think for a lot of people in leadership is, is it's not about you, you know, it really isn't about you. It's about what you're doing and how you're doing it and that you play a role in that, but you're not, you're not the lead role. You know, you're, it's not a one man movie, you know, it's, 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 it takes a supporting cast and that supporting cast is everybody behind the curtains that no one sees. And, uh, yeah. How's it dealing with me? Dealing with you is great. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's funny is, uh, we both have a certain level of ego, but we both don't mm. because it, if you, if you check me like, Hey, and you can ask a simple question and flank me real quick and be like, ah, I've got to 
and let me shift my thinking real quick. Give me a second or whatever. We were having a conversation yesterday, and I was like, well, think about this. Well, what do you think about this? And I'm not going to share what that was. And, you know, you pause, and you don't react. You respond. I like that because I know you're coming to me with a real answer that is you're emotionally detached from and you thought about before you responded. And if it was an ego driven, you just would be like, dude, I just, bro, I just do this, you know, but you stop and you think about it and that's real good. The other thing that's great about working with you is, and, and you're, you're real unique, right? Because you're this, you're this, you have a lot of influence, first of all, over a lot of diverse, it's a diverse group of people. I've seen, I mean, just at this camp, if you look at the people that you've touched that are here, men, women, younger, older, uh, from all different, let's say, backgrounds, racial backgrounds, uh, cultural backgrounds, like there's tons of different types of people. And that's a sampling. That's just a sampling of the people you touch. You know, and for me to check my ego and look at you and say, well, how can Jocko touch these people the way he does? Then I need to dig deeper and find out why, you know, and it don't, it, it takes a human, someone who, who, who understands humility to do that because your background is very unique. There's not everyone that's a Navy SEAL. There's not everyone's a jiu-jitsu black belt. There's not everyone that runs a leadership company that's sought out by some of the biggest companies in the world. So I check my ego to be like, man. You just made me sound real cool. Real I, just, cool. <laughs> I, I check my ego to be like, man, Jocko actually is going to help me. So when I call you, I'm not like, if I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to call Jocko and figure this out. I'm like. Okay, Jocko's on the West Coast. I'm check. I check my ego. I check everything. It's okay, Jocko's on the West Coast. I know he's probably traveling. You know, Monday and Wednesday, he's going to be in the airport. He's going to be getting hit up. I'm going to reach out to him at this time and see if he's got five minutes for a phone call because I know how much your time is worth. So, which is interesting because you know what I when, what I when I think about working with you, right? Um, which is which is awesome, and and I think the quickest way to explain it. And I'm, the only reason I'm talking about this is because I think there's lessons to be learned from it. Uh, you and I make big decisions, big decisions. Quickly. Quickly. With And the key factor in making big decisions quickly between you and me, decisions that have a lot of money on the line, decisions that have people's you know livelihoods on the lines, we're making decisions like that and there's like no ego. So in other words, I like you might hit me up. Hey, I think we should do this, and maybe I have a different idea. And I just completely remove the fact that it's my idea or your idea. It's like who, which one of these two ideas is better? Is better. I don't care who, where it came from, and and you and I. I know we got some similar parts of our personality. Obviously, we got some pretty yeah, divergent yeah. parts too. We got some crossover, and and so it's it's good to be able to just say, um, okay, I don't care whose idea this is which one of these two divergent ideas is gonna be the better one for what we're trying to do, which one is gonna deliver more satisfaction to the people we're trying to serve, you know, which is what we're always thinking about. How is this gonna help the people that we're trying, the, the people that are trying, that we're trying to serve? How are we gonna help them? How can we help them more? 
And you know what's funny is when you know you your ego is playing a role in your decision making is when you have to say something like this. I'm emotionally detached. <laughs> number one, if you have to say it, you aren't. Number two, <laughs> number I'm, two, I'm completely detached right I'm now. I'm telling you right now, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number two, so you have two. to qualify your next statement by, and I've done this a few times, and I feel like such a douchebag. <laughs> you have to qualify your statement by this. I've done this for 20 years. I'm an expert in it. Yeah. Pete so, Roberts, expert, yeah, expert marketer. marketer. So <laughs> then, then, I, then I get off the phone, I'm like, what a douchebag. <laughs> right? But you've got to understand that, that, that when you have to say those things, when you have to qualify those things, it's like saying Jocko says. You know, when you have to qualify yeah, yeah. your next statement, you've got to ego. Yeah. And I do it, you know. Daily, even well, and in addition to not having, in addition to it being your ego that's flaring up, you also don't have a legitimate reason. Because if it was a legitimate reason, you could articulate it properly. Right. If I'm trying to say something to you, and and I say, look, bro, these are this. I oh, look, I have I have a good podcast. A lot more people listen to my podcast than your podcast. Right. You should listen to me. That means I couldn't actually articulate what I was trying to say properly. If I could articulate what I was trying to say, yeah. you'd go, oh, well, that makes sense. Exactly. If I can't, then I go, my podcast got more listeners than yours, <laughs> so listen to me. Yeah, right? That's yeah, just, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. like you said, that would be just level 12 douche. But you, you know, and, and it's been the same thing. On sometimes you've said to me, you've said something, and then you'd like, be like, I don't even know why I said that. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll just start laughing about it. And be like, whatever, dude, let's just do what we're doing. Uh, I was going to say something to that point, though, as far as the ego is concerned. I think that if you don't have that sense, that feeling, like it can be done, you can do it, you will do it. If you don't have that, I I don't think you have the best tool you need. I said something at one of the musters. I said, and it's a dichotomy, belief won't get you anything, but without belief, you won't get anything. Exactly. So belief by itself, like you know those people that are, they write a, a meme I just had to throw that in echo voice. I always thought that was meme. I didn't. I never knew it was meme. Meme. Is it? How is it? It's meme. Okay. Meme. That was majorly close, right there. Mm -hmm. The memes that say, you know, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Right. Yeah. And that's not true, because just believing it does not make you achieve it. If you say, I believe I'm going to be able to do 30 pull-ups in two weeks, and right now I can do seven, belief isn't going to get you there. Exactly. You have to. You, you have to make it happen. You Take have to go action. do it. But if you truly don't believe that you can get there, you're not going to make the effort to, to, to get it done. Exactly. Because guess what? There's going to be times in any, in any pursuit that you make, there's going to be times where you're going to be put in check. You're going to be tested. You're gonna, there's going to be trials and tribulations. And if you don't believe that you can get, get there, you're going to stop. You're going to quit. And... You're not going to make it. So belief by itself won't get you anywhere. But without belief, you're not going anywhere. You know what I like to say is that you have, you have this, you, there's a dream. And a dream is something in a state of sleep. Then there's a belief. And then there's the thing you're trying to achieve. 
and then there's a void. And in that void, you have to fill it with action, you know, stepping forward. Mm. So dreaming is one thing. Everybody has dreams. Believing you take it a step further and then filling the void with action makes things happen. Mm -hmm. So um, and we're on the same page. I mean, a thousand percent. Once again. Once again. Um, you know, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad that, you know, it's awesome to be working and that the things that we're doing, people are digging. So that's cool. But I wanted to like actually talk a little bit since we're at jujitsu camp right now. Can I give them an example though? Of what? I want to, I want to just give an example of like when you, when you, cause we're now, cause we're doing what we, what we would do is like, we work so well together. <laughs> Right, we're doing the same damn thing, you know. Like we're like we work so well that we do work well together. But let, let's give an example of how something could have gone wrong, or let's say we got off track for a minute and came back. Right here we go. I designed this packaging, and I was like, "This is the best packaging. This is the nicest packaging." What was it for? It was for a new product we shall not talk about. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was. It was colorful. It was. It's gonna. You know. It's, it's perfect. It was. Great, yeah. I, actually, what's <laughs> it, funny is I you tried to flank me on I this did, one. I did. I flanked and you. And the yeah, flank yeah. was so <laughs> was funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I did try to flank you, and uh, so I showed it to to B Little and Megan, and and they were like, "That's awesome." I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "I went a little over the top with it, but it like this packaging would be the best, right?" That's yeah. what I told them. I yeah. built myself up. I built them up. This packaging would be the best. Because of my expertise, right? Yeah. And uh, and Brian's like, "What's Jocko gonna think about it?" And I was like, "Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Doesn't matter." So here or I have. Did the, you say? Did you say like, you know what? We'll no. we'll explain it to him. We'll get him. We'll yeah, get him over I said it. he. I said he's gonna bring it down a level from what it is, but hopefully, we'll hit somewhere in between. And so Brian, and then Brian's like. Bro, if he doesn't like it, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no. I said, dude. I said, don't even worry about it. Yeah, yeah. I said, don't Jocko, even worry no about factor. it. Yeah, no factor. No factor. No factor. So, uh, so I sent it to you, and it was like no response. And then you're like, <laughs> you know, you iced me. And 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 part of part of this, and when I when I'm talking about drafting, right? Like, okay, my ego comes into play. And then Jocko's egos comes into play. And then he says something, then I back off. And then it comes back, and his comes back. Then it back off. So there's this constant. But that's not ego. It's e it's not ego. It's coming to a decision that's yeah. best. So like after this colorful, let's call it a rainbow, right? Then all of a sudden you like make the rainbow black. <laughs> the whole rainbow. The whole rainbow. <laughs> Just make it black. The whole rainbow. <laughs> and that would be kind of cool. <laughs> so uh so I go out to Brian and I was like, yeah, Jocko doesn't like it. <laughs> and, and he like stands up and he's like, bro, he's like, he's like, if he doesn't like, this is ridiculous. Well, I didn't know, like, know Belittle yeah, was such yeah, a yeah, hater. Yeah, he tries no, to no, he's super not. cool. He's, 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 he's excited. Cool yeah. With me. Yeah, he's, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course he is. He's, yeah, so so I'm like, I, I literally, and then I like, then, uh, then I literally, I was like, it's not on brand. Yep. It's not right. And so I made a quick check, right? And I was like, dude, I said, you know, I said, I think the packaging were great, but you know what? Let me go back to the drawing board because I haven't seen what else it could look like. How do you freaking know what else it could look like? 
so then I went back to the drawing board and, you know, and we, we pushed it further and we went on brand more with it. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, yeah, not bad. Still not good. Whatever. <laughs> you didn't really say this. I think my like, first yeah. four responses were for too much. Yeah. Next too much. One, too much. Next one. Too much. Yeah, exactly. So you're like, <laughs> okay, he's, he just wants me to bring this back to the basics. So, you know, what's funny. You use the term on brand. And that's one of those things I, I hear get thrown around like about about brands, right? Mm-hmm. And I was at I was getting interviewed the other day, some interview, and the guy said something about like, um, you know, it, it's it's impressive how you know quickly you've built your brand, right? And I looked at him and I said, I'm not a brand, I'm a person. I'm a person. What I'm doing is not what I'm doing so that I can leverage people. What I do is just me, and I'm just a person. So if you asked me if I would wear a rainbow t-shirt, I wouldn't. No, I've asked you to wear lots of stuff when you have. <laughs> and, <laughs> if, and if you asked me, but, but that's not because of I'm trying to be something. It's because that's who I am. Right. And I have been, I had one of my bros who I hadn't seen in a while. And he, we met at a little place we go to in San Diego. And I hadn't seen him in a year and a half. And he comes walking in and he sees me and I'm wearing the same thing that I always wear. A pair of jeans, a victory black t-shirt. And he walks in and he sees, and it was wintertime and I was wearing a flannel, like a, a, whatever like a a new england yeah like a new england but like cheap whatever flannel with a quilt inside of it yeah and um he sees me and like when he sees me and this is kind of you know after the books and the podcast and he's another seal so he's suspect and he sees me and i see his face and his face like gets happy when he sees me and he and he comes over and like does like a bro hug and he says Bro, you're fucking exactly the same. And I was like, yeah, man. And he goes, I fucking knew it. And like that to me was the best compliment I'll ever get is like, okay, no matter what happens, I'm not a brand. I'm not doing anything for, you know, any other reason other than it's just me. And that's just, just what I'm doing. And if people are cool with it, man, that's awesome. I'm stoked. And, that, and that's what I love about you because you actually are checking your ego because this is who you are and you're not this person. And that's what, that's why you work. You know, that's why it works. No Be- rainbows. No rainbows, man. No uh, rainbow emojis coming from me. I don't mind rainbows, but Echo sent, oh, uh, he texts my wife sometimes because they got to organize some administrative stuff. He sent her a, a unicorn and a rainbow. Yeah. Should I be pissed at that? Should another man send another? Should, should another what placement man, should was it, it unicorn then rainbow or rainbow then unicorn? I don't know what kind Rain, of secret messages rainbow, are going rainbow, on rainbow over there. Then unicorn, yeah. Sure. What does that even unicorn, mean, yeah. bro? Amen. It's just a soft, very. Would polite, you send very, a, another man's wife a rainbow and a unicorn? In a text, definitely not. No, 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 bro. You asked that question over the line. No, 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 over the line. You asked the question wrong. You, you. The question is, are there any possible circumstances where it's okay to send a rainbow and a unicorn? Well, let me give you. Let me give you an example, Echo. 
if you're at i if, feel like we're miscommunicating if you're at the local fair and yeah. you get the prized unicorn the fluffy one do you turn and hand it to your wife or do you turn and hand it to Chaco's wife but, okay, I'm so, just kidding, dude. I'm just kidding. If I got a whole bucket of them, like I do with my phone, I'm gonna hand them to both the wives. I'm gonna hand them to my daughter, the wives, any other Echo. girls that Rainbows walk by. Rainbows and unicorns all around. All around, Echo, man. Echo all hasn't around. changed. Echo hasn't trained for a bit. He's coming after my neck and saying, "I'm backing up from my I'm gripping it, ready to. Yeah, no, awesome. I was just kidding. No, I think it's absolutely okay because yeah, okay. we don't have ego. I'm just making sure. So we we know we're dropping ego. Hey, you know they're friends. Yeah. No, that's cool. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't send his wife unicorns and rainbows. Right. But if you did, that's cool. In fact, I'd say, dang, that's kind of nice, Taco. Dang. dang. You know what? The you guys o- got me saying, dang. You want to know why? <laughs> you you want to know the only reason why I think it's acceptable that this guy Echo Charles sends my wife <laughs> unicorns and rainbows because you love him like a brother. No. Because he sends me unicorns oh and rainbows, yeah. too. <laughs> there you go. See? He keeps it's it real like, all around. Sure, he he yeah. actually sends me. He's I think he actually sends my wife emoticon. unicorns and rainbows. He probably yeah. does. Yeah. You know what? He has the best flanking technique. What is that? What do you do? He makes sure the wives are happy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Has your wife ever been like, Echo's so nice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's like three unicorns and rainbow. All yeah, of a sudden, yeah, he's yeah. nice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's why I send them because it's nice. So, boom, there you go. Win, win, win. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, So, I did want to, before you you brought it back to ego, which is cool, man. That's that's good points, man. I mean, I think, you you know, you and I are both like, regardless of anything else, we're both established human beings, men with families and businesses. Right. So, there's definitely going to be, I mean, I remember when I met you, I was like, you know, this may not work out. This may not work out. And... I was like, you know, this guy, he's done a lot and his ego might be a little bit, there might not be enough room for, for someone else in this picture. What I realized is it what it wasn't ego. You know what it was? It was what I talked about earlier. It was pride. You were proud of what you and your team had done. Proud of that, r- rightfully so. I'd say pr- pride and protection. Yeah, 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 mm. for sure, for sure. Like life's work, you know, we just did the, the Kipling poem, If. Mm everything you put your whole life into that's what that's what this is and you're like looking at me like hey man hold on a second yeah just let's do a little security check exactly yeah yeah but you know i just realized how proud you were of that and that your ego your ego was hey i don't care about that what i care about is making sure that this goes in the right direction like what's kind of like what i just said about what is me well this is you Right. This is like what you built, and you want to make sure that it's reflected well. Yeah, exactly. For all time. That's it. And there's not nothing wrong with that. If you didn't have that, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't have made it this far. No chance. True. You'd have given up after the freaking first tangled bunch of threads <laughs> came out of the loop. <laughs> <laughs> all right, jujitsu. Yeah, man. I want to talk because it's a pretty. Jiu-Jitsu camp is awesome, clearly. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu immersion camp, if you don't know what we're talking about, it's, what is it, seven days total? E, Sunday to Sunday, yeah. Sunday to seven, Sunday, up in Maine. and The week before Labor Day. The week before Labor Day, Jiu-Jitsu, Jiu-Jitsu, and Jiu-Jitsu. Three times a day we have sessions. People are training outside of sessions. But you've been running it for seven years. Beautiful camp here. Yeah. Camp Laurel. Yeah, yeah. In, what's the town? 
It's we're actually in uh, Mount Vernon, Maine. Mount Vernon, Maine, on Echo on Lake. Echo Lake. Layers. Echo Charles Lake. Echo Charles Lake. Layers. Layers. Did you jump in this week? Negative. Negative. How come? I uh, haven't found the time and bro, you, you know, can't even roll forget. jujitsu. How did you forget that <laughs> time? You literally have nothing to do. I've done, you see I've done nineteen interviews. I know, I know when I know when you look up that direction, you go to the creative part of your brain instead yes, of the sir. analytical. Did you yes, see sir. that? He's like, can't find Just the uh, time. No, <laughs> could have gone with a better word than time. It's like I'm on my way. Like when I think about it, I'm like doing something, and then you know when you're, I'm done doing it, I just had you know it's not in my mind. Forget. Just, I haven't. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have not prioritized jumping in the lake either. Correct. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. Not, I I prioritized it. it was so hot when we got here. It was. It was actually. I was working out in the morning in the gym, and it was. I was sweating so because I sweat a lot. Yeah. And I mean, it clearly, if you go on my social media, I I take some pictures of my sweat sometimes. Yeah. But, but I was sweating so much it was freaking gross because it was ninety five degrees and humid. Yeah. And so there's just Lake Jocko in the gym, <laughs> sweat everywhere. Yeah. I think people were. People were like, oh, fired up Jocko's here. Oh, that's kind of gross. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah for, for a second. But then you jumped in the lake and then a bunch of people showed up and you were walking down the dock and everybody was like, oh, shit, like King Arthur walking into his palace. You were just like, you were just like walking. And I was like, and I was, I was standing up on my dock by the cabin and everyone's just like, oh, Jocko. <laughs> you know? Remember, remember Desi at the factory when, when there was the baklava there and she came over to me. And she's like, hey, can I have some baklava? And she, you were right next to her, and she, had, she hadn't met you yet. She's uh-huh. like 19 years old, yeah. and she listens to the podcast. And I was like, uh, yeah, you got to ask Jocko or whatever. And she's like, oh, I just want that. And I was like, yeah, here, 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 he's right there. And she looks behind her, and she looks up, and she's like, oh, Jocko. <laughs> I was like, what? It was so funny. Anyways, we had like 200 people doing that. So um, you were just like, no, and then you got bombarded. It was awesome. Well, I have been hitting the lake after after I get out of Lake Jocko in the gym. Yeah. <laughs> then I move down to Lake Echo, Echo and go for a swim, and it is it. it is awesome. It's been warm too. Yeah, it's been but warm. People weren't prepped for the shift. Oh no, I, I warned them. I know. I actually posted like videos in my car of the temperature. Yeah. Like, hey, here's the temperature. It's 55 degrees. Look, see here, mm-hmm. it's going to get colder, and the daytime is going to be 80 or 90. Prepare for that. Yep. Yep. How people not forget so soon. Um, so we're here for jujitsu, not just for swimming and working out, even though that is part of it. Uh, I want. I was wondering about. So it's it's good to when you do something. You've done this once every year. You do it. Done it for seven years. When you have a frame like that, it's like a snapshot in time. I wanted to kind of ask you about what you've seen. First of all, jujitsu in terms of the people that are coming to camp. Who are they? What's been different? Oh. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a big change this year because yeah. we had a lot of people that listen to this podcast yeah, that have come up, probably have a couple hundred of them over the two days, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what the crazy thing is, is I'm a little bit crazy. Like, I actually put my cell phone number into the public. <laughs> Did I ever tell you that? No. Oh, yeah. I'm like, hey, you coming to camp? You want to come to camp? Got a question? Here's my cell phone. So I, I usually preface it with like, don't text me crazy shit. Don't ask me random questions, but I can answer questions about camp because I want to give I want to give people zero excuses. Yeah. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know who's going to be coming. So the messages I got were like, "Hey, I listen to Jocko podcast. I have never trained jujitsu. Is this a good time to start? Hey, I'm 50 years old. I've never trained jujitsu. Would it be good to come to camp or not?" 
you know, a lot of questions like that. And every single one, I said, I've got a bunch of people asking the same question. We'd love to have you. And it will be the sing, the greatest singular experience you will ever have in jujitsu because you're going to be starting not just in an amazing place, but with amazing instructors. Yeah. And when I asked the first day, everybody raised their hand who hasn't trained jujitsu before. Were you were you here at we that first got, session? We were uh, Dude, a couple hours behind. Fifty people, like hand up. I was. I looked at the other instructors, like holy crap. If you're listening and you want to train jiu-jitsu, I do recommend that you do it. There we go. <laughs> I do recommend it. It's really good for you. It really is good for you in so many different ways. And to see uh, the people here that have never trained jiu-jitsu before yeah. and see that it's, it. I've, well, I don't think any of us, none of us have ever, you don't ever get to see 50 people that have never trained jiu-jitsu no. before or 75 people that have never trained jiu-jitsu before and you get to teach them all at once. At least I've never done that before. No, and I mean, you definitely don't get 58-year-old seventh-dan judo black belts who have never put on a jiu-jitsu gi before, you know, looking for a white belt. Yeah. And we've got one of them here yeah. too. No, it's, but my point in seeing all the people at one time you know, when you occasionally get a white belt or someone that's never trained before and you teach them a couple moves and you get to see a, one spark in someone's brain go zzz, 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 and they start to get it. But to see 50 people yeah. go zzz, 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 and the eyes open up and it usually doesn't happen all at once because some people will get it when you get, you know, some people make the connection here, some people make the connection over here, some people make the connection over there and it's, but in a, in a period of an hour and a half training session, you can definitely see people, you'll see 25% of the people make a real connection. And the connection is between knowing and not knowing. Between, between not knowing what this thing is and how expansive it is and knowing what this thing is and how expansive it is and how it is so powerful. I think that's the difference. When somebody goes, Oh, like I did it yesterday. I was teaching just the mount escape, and I was teaching the mount escape with um, first the umpa, right, and then going to elbow escape. And as I explained, I was looking at this one girl, and as I explained that as I try to umpa them over, and the person moves out their leg to stop from being flipped over, and I go, and I said, freeze, and I said, now look at his leg. And I said, that's what I wanted. And I slipped my leg out and put him in half guard. And I looked at her eyes and it was like, oh. <laughs> and her eyes got big. And I was like, I looked at you know, and everyone's looking. I yeah. go, look at her. Yes. <laughs> she gets it. Yeah. Because that, that's when you realize. And then you realize that all this stuff, every move that you've seen over three days, it's all connected. Yeah. It all makes sense. And it's all, it's all interwoven with each other into this fabric that creates this thing. You looked at me yesterday and you're like, hey, get me in quarter guard. And I'm like, what's quarter guard? Oh, yeah. Because you're like, mountain, put a foot it. in or whatever. I didn't know. I didn't actually know it was a, I a just name. thought it was like, I, I just thought was, that was me trying to mount you or pass the guard. Mm. But you showed the one, you like, I go to deep half. And I was like, I go to deep half from here. That's mm. what I like to do. And you're like, well, let me show the move because your move's too complex. I was like, yeah, they're failing at it right now. <laughs> and so you kind of took the control of that session. And you did this move where how you got a deep half. 
And I was like thinking to myself, I looked at it and I had one of those, <laughs> and I was like, oh, snap. Because <laughs> you use, this, use the same clamp hip rotation I use for like one of my special sweeps. Mm. And, I, and I didn't, it never registered. And I was like, oh, the first thing I'm teaching when I get back is that yeah. right there. That's, that's Jeff Glover. That's you know, awesome. Jeff Glover was the head jiu-jitsu instructor with Dean at my gym for four years. So we did a lot of deep half guard. Not yeah. enough. I need more. But he had some great setups there. Uh, you know, and what are you seeing right now moves? Well, at Camp One, yeah. what did everyone want to learn? Well, first of all, Camp One was a bloodbath. <laughs> Not really a bloodbath. Oh, it was you guys a, just came up here to beat each other. Yeah, we, we Camp One was... First of all, what, I had... What belt were you in, Camp One? I think I was a fresh black belt. Ooh. I think I had... I think I had just gotten it, mm-hmm. yeah, um, because it was 2012. I had just gotten back from Abu Dhabi, and I was on top of my game. Mm. And we had like Tanquino, you know, Augusto yep. Mendez was up yep. here, Rafael Formiga, Barbosa, and then the main the main crew, Dedeco, and mm-hmm. Mackenzie Dern was up here. And so that f- that first year, we were just beating up on each other. Just came up here to basically yeah, train. Yeah, off. everyone was competing and whatnot. Yeah, and what had happened is, is we had launched like, hey, we're bringing these experts. But we had launched that after we had, you know, started the, had the registration running for a while. And what we saw that first year was we didn't pick up a lot of extra people by and having the experts. The experts, right? And so people came, and then. We did the second year. It was a lot like the first year, except there was more people. And what we came to find out is that people were looking for an experience, mm-hmm. right? Everyone's looking for something. And the way that we love jujitsu and how it's affected our lives, it's almost like if you inject that with something extra, that's what camp is. So Dean pointed this out to me. He's up here right now, Dean Lister. Uh, Dean pointed out to me that in Europe, he says, adults do camps. They, they go to camp. In America, kids go to camp. And, 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 and that makes sense, right? I said, I've never even dreamt of going into a camp. A camp. I never right. even dreamt as an adult. Are you kidding me? I never thought about that. But in Europe, apparently, hey, it's totally normal to say, hey, you're going to go to this rock climbing camp. Or you're an adult. You're a grown person. You're going to go to a, a gymnastics or a yoga camp or something like that. Or you're going to go to a tennis camp as an adult. In America, we don't do that. No. We do now. Yeah, we do. Jiu-jitsu camp. That's right. Come and get some. <laughs> uh, and, you know, Echo and I were talking the other day, and I think this is a great premise. Okay. And I don't want this to sound crazy, right? But imagine if the goal of the camp is to increase your skill level one belt. That's actually... Is a very good reality. So it's not, it might not be realistic, right? You're not going to go, you're not going to gain that much skill. But let me break it down. You're, you, okay, your initial thought is like, no way could that happen, right? You can't get that much better in a short period of time. But now I want you to think about something. You, go, you train, if you come here and you train for six hours a day for seven days, what do you got? 42 hours? Mm-hmm. You take that, that's, two or three months worth of training. But but think about this. How often when you go to training are you learning a move that you already knew? 
Often. How often are you going to training? You're learning a move that really doesn't fit your style. Often. What if you came to a place where you were just going to learn the moves that you needed to improve your skill level that much? Now, I think we're close. I mean, that you're, you're going to walk out of this camp as is right now just way better, way better. I was thinking about it. One time I taught a group of SEALs five straight days, eight hours a day for, for jiu-jitsu. I called it, I named it. I named the course what? It was called Jocko. <laughs> J period O period C period K period O. Mm-hmm. And it was it stood for Jiu-Jitsu Offense for Combat Killing Operations. <laughs> <laughs> In typical Jocko fashion. <laughs> what a I riot. was like, I don't know, I was oh young. <laughs> I think I was twenty-six or something, twenty-five. <laughs> but it's but anyways, so but what I noticed is that when I was teaching Jocko offense for combat killing operations, when I was teaching that course of instruction, um, even though I was training guys that had never trained, and I was a blue belt at the time. But even though I was training guys that had never trained before, I was still going to Fabio's, my, my teacher, at night. And every day I got like better. Every day I got better. And I thought to myself, oh wow, there's something to this. And that's why when I would do deployments with no guys to train with, I would just have my guys come and train with me. You know, like, hey, you come from 12 to 12.15 and you come from 12.15 to 12.30 and I just roll with every guy in the platoon. and just to get the mat time, because that mat time is gonna help you. But then if you imagine this, you take what we're doing here, you have specific instruction instructors that are good at different little parts of the game. Exactly. And you go, oh, Alexei, can you help me with my De La Hiva? I'm gonna spend the next four hours getting, not a private, but a private. Basically. Basically, yeah. from Alexei, oh, Dean Lister's here. Hey, Dean, can you show me how to finish this heel hook? in these different positions. You know what I mean? I like, you could go, uh, Deco. can you, look, I wanna, I wanna sweep from butterfly guard. Can you, you're a master at this. Can you perfect my game in that area? And I think if you carved it up right, you could, look, are you gonna get a new belt level? No, but if you make that your goal to get in here and fill holes, you're gonna walk out of here with massive amounts of improvement. You know what's incredible, and that's the immersion part of it. Like it's immersion. You know, people are very nervous about. Not so much anymore, but I still get a lot of emails. Like, is it right for me? And it's well, we're all adults first of all, so it's there's sessions and there's opportunity outside those sessions. But everyone's here for the same purpose, and like I say, hey, no one's gonna win a camp trophy. Yeah, right. It's yeah. that's not what it's all about. It is full-on immersion of jujitsu yeah. from some of the world's best. But we've had people come to camp as a new blue belt. They're now black belts. Mm-hmm. They still come to camp. Yeah. Usually, when you hit purple belt, you get a bit of ego. Mm-hmm. When you hit brown belt, you're basically a black belt. And when you hit black belt, you think you should be sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it goes in jujitsu. That's but probably out here on the on the West Coast in San Diego. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're not thinking that. Okay, you can't. <laughs> too many, there's too many black belts. Did you out see there. all the black belts and brown belts out there that register for camp? Oh yeah, yeah. It's oh, crazy. Yeah, it's awesome. it's, it's crazy. Awesome. So it is. It's like a full immersion for all levels, which it's incredible to be able to bring 
all the levels to camp. Okay, though, now this needs to be said. It's also in what we would call in the military a gentleman's course. Yes, so yes. Do, do, do the civilians know what that means? Uh, the no. difference, okay, in, in the military, a, a normal course of instruction means you're gonna go and you're gonna be basically treated like crap and you're gonna do crappy things and it's like, hey, we're gonna make you understand this. A gentleman's course like, okay, look, we're gonna get the material covered, you're gonna get treated like a grown man or in this case, grown woman. You're not gonna be treated like a child. So that so this place is a gentleman's course. It's not like, hey, you will be, if you wanna skip a session here, Skip a you session. Skip a session. You don't want to do takedowns. Don't do, don't don't do takedowns. You don't you want to relax in the morning and don't want to do the morning session, or you want to stay up on the mat all night and get on vampire hours. Get some. I got that, on vampire hours. That's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Two a.m. every morning. <laughs> so so it's a gentleman's course, and and you can come here and you can pick and choose what you want to do. If you there's people here. That, I thought this was cool. People here that are injured that cannot roll but they're here and they're learning moves and they're drilling as much as they can and then cool, they're gonna go home and use them live when they can use them live. So that part's, that part's pretty cool. Uh, what I wanna go, I hate to drag you back to this, but moves, do you remember moves like from seven years ago that people were looking at compared to now? Anything, yeah. any, does anything jump out at you or am I just like barking up at the wrong tree? No, totally, total, I mean, I remember standing there. I remember sitting in the stands watching Hodger Gracie choke everybody out from Mount. Every single person Mm -hmm. in the pyramid at the world championships. And thinking that's, and I was young, young, you know, belt. And I'm thinking like, oh, that's real jujitsu. Then I remember the Mendez brothers baramboloing everybody. Mm -hmm. And then thinking like, well, maybe, maybe that's (laughs) jujitsu. You know, but as you progress, you come to find out it's all jujitsu and it's all cyclical. Mm-hmm. And that's the bottom line. There's a cycle of jujitsu and things, you know, your body can only do certain things, right? You can only, you can't bend your elbow backwards. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you have some resilience, you build up some resilience to different things, but it's a, it's this cyclical thing. And I've seen things that came and then were defended and then changed they came again and were defended and then changed. Like the Daily Hebrew Guard. Mm-hmm. I love the Daily Hebrew Guard. And it's coming back. Mm-hmm. You know? I, and 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 it's the first time, the first time I've seen it come back is when that that new kid uh swept Bushesha with a straight up Daily Hebrew sweep. Who's that kid that's coming on the scene hardcore now? I don't know. Um Marigali? Marigali? I don't know. Yeah. But as far as moves for me, uh, I always stick to the the basics like, you know, make them skate on ice when you're on bottom and put them under the ice when you're on top. And I just try to stick to those two things and, you know, moves come or go, but, you know, the concepts stay the same. They don't ever change. Concepts in jiu-jitsu, conceptually, nothing ever changes. You're trying to do something. Yeah. It's like the laws of combat. Okay. The, the, con- the concepts don't change. Cool. Cover and move is cover and move. There you go. And it's off balancing someone yep. is putting them off balance right what when you see different people teach what type of instruction do you think works best for you personally pete roberts for me i want clear concise uh n- just straightforward show me once do you like to see the move m- like like individual moves or do you like to understand the broader concept 
I'm both. a concept guy. I am too. Because yeah. my artsy fartsy maybe mind but i like the concepts of it yeah and it's weird and that's one thing that's good about this is you have some of the instructors teach here's the here's move one two three four five six seven that's the move you do these seven things that's the move other teachers here are like here's what you're trying to do first here's what you're trying to do second here's what you're trying to do third it's probably going to cause this to happen and when that happens here's what you're going to do with it it's a linear system, and I look at jujitsu non-linear. Yeah, it, but it's okay to look at it linear too, because some people that's their learning style. I was going to say that, that. Well, that's why I'm saying this is some people. I give them the concept, and then they say, because I'm a I'm a conceptual teacher. Yeah, I give them the concept, and they say, okay, where do I grab? Exactly, exactly. And, and as soon as they ask me that, I realize I say, okay, grab here, mm-hmm. other hand here, foot here, push, pull, lean. There it is. That's why I'm a shitty teacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're only you're only a shitty teacher to people that aren't that don't learn the way you do. Exactly. Exactly. So, like that, I think that's good to have people. I mean, how long have you been training for? Uh, 2006, I started. So 12, 12 years. years, going on 13. So you've been training 12 years, yeah. and I showed a move. That you were a black belt when I was, you know, in diapers and jujitsu. <laughs> so, so I showed a move that you didn't see in twelve years, right? You showed a move. I've been training for lo- longer, twenty something years, and you showed move I didn't never seen before. Does that mean I need to expose myself to more? Yes, but it also means guess what? There's only so much knowledge, and what's cool about this is. The moves get filtered by human beings, right? 100%. You're not you're not out there teaching a move that you haven't used and don't feel good about. Whereas there could be moves that you can learn, like oh, that person's never actually used that move before. Mm-hmm. So things to be interested. You know, you talked about immersion, and I explain this to everyone. I don't know if I've ever have I ever done language compared language to on this podcast. Oh, on this podcast, I don't know. Okay, I don't know either. For people that want to learn jujitsu, this is an immersion camp. But no matter where you're learning it, this is great. I know what you're going to say. The language thing. I, I, you you really got me when you said this. Okay, so here's what here's what it is to learn jujitsu. You know, compares to learning a language. I was an English major, um, so and I studied linguistics inside of studying English. Learning a language and learning jujitsu are very similar. When you so when Echo, who Echo gives a great introductory course to jujitsu, it's like, what do you teach? Mount, you teach all the positions, mount, mm-hmm. back, half guard, guard, side mount. side control. Yeah. And you teach a little bit of action from each one, yes. maybe one or two submissions from one or two, yeah. one or two escapes from one or two. Yeah. So it's a total of five positions and seven moves, let's say, yeah. something like that. When he gets done teaching that introduction, and it's actually the same introduction that I basically t- teach. And when, I, when I've taught it at the muster, this is when I first said this was at the muster, I said, when we got done with this hour and a half and all these people are all fired up because they know how to do the Americana and they know how to do the, the, the rear naked choke and they're, they're basically, in their minds, trained killers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And when we get done with that, I say, okay, you have just learned the 
the one line that forms the small letter A that goes down the side that you've only learned that you haven't even actually learned the letter A yet. Exactly. In terms of looking at his language. You train for another few hours, you might have an A, right? And then you, then okay, now, but can you speak a sentence? Nope. You can't even form a word yet. There's one word you can form. It's ah. You got one word. Ah. That's basically where you're at. So what you need to do is you need to learn more moves. But once you learn different, you couldn't just learn letters. You need to learn how to spell. That's how you put the moves together. And then you got to learn how to fit those moves together in uh, against and alongside other moves. That's a sentence. And then you got to figure out how you're going to roll through mm-hmm. a paragraph. Mm-hmm. And then you putting these moves together, then you realize that it's also like language. It's like debate. You're actually, somebody's throwing other words at you and you need to learn how to respond to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And once you learn all those words and you learn how to put them into paragraphs and you get to end of that and you think you've mastered the language, then someone says, hey, guess what? You got to learn German yes, now, exactly. which is, you know, judo and then you got to learn sambo which is russian and you got to learn all these different languages you got to learn all these different languages in order to really truly understand and i feel like i feel like black belt for me like getting to black belt was the the start of that was like okay the english language but i felt my grammar still sucks yeah i feel i'm not even going to get to those other languages yet i feel like from a language perspective when you get your black belt you have the language capability of like a 10 year old kid right right like a 10 year old kid like you you can get you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to just pick up a book and start reading it you're not you're not gonna be able to do that you have to be you know one of these guys that has been training and teaching for a really long time and competing and yes. rolling and though and tr- and really have like a broad mind and you know what's crazy is i you know we got the, the plastic forks in the commons someone was asking me what the stripes mean and so i took out the plastic forks and i lined them up i said that's three years at black belt that's three years at black belt first two the next one that's five years, that's five years, that's seven years, that's seven. I said, so when you look at someone, you can see how long they've been a black belt. Because mm-hmm. their question was, are there differences in black belts? Absolutely, there's differences. Mm-hmm. Most of these guys have been black belts in world championship and, and have a hundred black belts when I just started training mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu. So go to them, they've got the knowledge. I'm still trying to learn that. Yeah, and yeah, for sure. Uh, and there are, I mean, d- d- yeah, there's as much disparity in black belts as there are from white to brown belt. Yeah. There's there's that much difference. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Cool. I think I think that's a good place to yeah. wrap. Wrap it. Wrap it. Um, speaking of wrapping up, Echo Charles. Yes. You didn't even jump into that jujitsu conversation very much. No, you guys are nailing it on the head every single time. No, like, maybe not every single time, but yeah. No, nothing. He's like every single time, then he's like, not every single not time. We'll just say time. every time. I got it. You know, in the spirit of how much precision. torture? How much torture? So, for those of you who don't know, Echo Charles has a, a we'll call it a broken wing over there. Yeah, broken, broken wing. wing. Broken yeah. wing. Got that bicep recovering. injury. Yeah. Recovering. How much torture was it to be here? Without rolling, it was like um, <laughs> like I broke. You know when you torture someone, then they break. Oh, so I, yeah. I broke, yeah, yeah, the other day. So I actually rolled two rounds. 
I didn't re-injure it or nothing like this, but, but you definitely felt it. I, I heard it just from the, all the twisting activity. So it's like, but I feel it, it was just one of those hurt things. It's it'll be fine, absolutely fine. But yeah, torturous to what, as far as the degree, whatever degree it takes to break. That's mm-hmm. me. That's different with different people. Yes, it is. So, uh, well, maybe we're not going to torture anyone, but if we want to help them instead of torture yeah. them, yeah, maybe you could, you know. Clue us in on how to do that. Demonstrate. Well, actually, what? Illustrate. No, yeah, illustrate is drawing. No, illustrate is also explain. Yeah, like you could paint a it. picture, if you will, even yeah. metaphor. All right, let's do it. Okay, let's talk about origin first, like we always do, yeah. by the way. That's awesome. Pete, since you're here, what do you think? What do I think? Yeah, what I, do you think about origin? <laughs> it's like, you know, do you know anything about this or what? I know a little bit about right. it. I've been involved for a little while. What do you want me to talk about with origin? Okay, and the whole podcast okay. is kind Let of like about this real simple. Yeah, we haven't done this before. Okay, new person hasn't trained jujitsu before. Need a gi. Which one should they get? Well, there's only one to what, get. What, that, what specific? That is a uh, never trained jujitsu comp. Uh, get a get a uh, comp athletic gi. Okay, it's a it's so so. There's le- levels of gis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we make. A gi here in the United States from American Girl and Cotton, and you've heard Echo say that before. A gi is a tool you need to start your journey. Most schools are going to require you to, to have one. Uh, normally, if you start at an MMA school, you're going to start with a rash guard and some shorts. But if you're going to go try jujitsu, and I would recommend, you know, trying it in the gi first. You're going to need a gi, and that right there is is a tool you're gonna use in your journey. It's not just something you wear, mm-hmm. it's actually a tool. It's actually something you're gonna grip and hold and turn and twist. And when you're doing that, or when someone's doing that to you, you need the best tool. And that's what we make up here in Maine, are the best tools for training. In the form of, it just happens to be a gi. So someone's never trained before, mm-hmm. comp athletic. Comp athleta. Comp atleta. So I did it in like Portuguese. I made it you like did. Portuguese. It's A T L E T, so it's atleta. But yeah, I thought you just said. I thought you said. I say atleta. Okay, because cool. it means athlete. So mm. comp athlete, comp atleta. Yeah, it's that artsy. artsy yeah, it's name. a little over the top. Hey, but that's not like a hard and fast. Like, hey, if you're just beginning, you should get this. It's kind of that's kind of like your just recommendation. Yeah, because right? oh, no, like, I use it too. Yeah. I use the yeah. athleta. I mean, I, I have an axiom too. Or yeah, I mean, the axiom is like next level. Like if you are serious about training, like you're going to commit to it, like you're really going to commit to it, you need to get an axiom. So if you were to compare it to like a surfboard, right? I mean, uh, I'm assuming you start surfing and you get the, no. you know, like you're watching you're North Shore. Com- you can't Remember compare that? this with a surfboard. Well, you ever watch North Shore? Bro, okay. Yeah. I have, yeah. but I haven't seen it in a long okay, time. Okay, so he wanted to ride. What was the board? He I forget. You ever watch North Shore? No. Oh, dang. Too bad. Yeah, it's West Coast. Anyway, so this kid, Rick Kane, <laughs> for real. For, if, they, if surfers, will, if any surfer listening will be like, yeah, North Shore. It's cheesy. I no, get it. I know, man. But you I can't. Get it. The you point, made me feel the like point. I'm not in the loop. I bro, feel. It's okay. It's, Welcome it, to it, Echo's podcast. <laughs> You're not in the loop. Rick Kane wins a surfing competition in Arizona. Yeah. In the tank. Yeah. Goes to Hawaii because he's going to surf the big waves. He gets this trainer, old school, soul surfer type guy. Who he's, plays that? Jerry Lopez. No, no, no. Jerry Lopez is Vince on the kind of the rival, the oh, local. Okay. Anyway, long, that's a different point. So he kind of at one point, this is a small kind of a small part of the movie, but he wants to use this like special board that his trainer kind of shapes or, or, or had or whatever. 
and he's like, bro, you're not ready for that yet. It's not like that, uh, right? You see what no, I'm saying? No, no, no. It's like, not like that at all. Because you could get an axiom day one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We have people that do. Yeah. They'll listen to your podcast, and they'll be like, I got to start jujitsu. I need the best. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. cool. That is the, the axiom's comfortable as can be. But we re, we're reinventing the gi again for next year. Yeah, yeah. And we we, we mentioned about that. Yeah, I know we mentioned it. Yeah, but we you do really it. good things like um like the pants, for example. Yeah, like you know a, a regular I don't know regular whatever the, like a, a different kind of gi trash bag style pants versus yeah you know mapping body mapping pants. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yes, it, yeah. that, that's really what set us apart initially. Yeah, I could see why. Fully. It's really why we one of the reasons we decided to bring manufacturing back is because every time we come up with something to get ripped off, our manufacturer just send it over overseas and have give it to somebody else. And mm. yeah, the pants is a huge, huge thing for mm. better training. Yeah, fully. Also, speaking of pants, joggers, sick. I don't know if I said this before. I told some guys earlier today or yesterday. You know, joggers. I don't know if you remember this last year. You were like, oh, yeah, no, here's some here's some joggers or whatever. And I was like, jo- like, yeah. I was like joggers, you know, isn't that the slim fit one? <laughs> you know, and you're like, yeah. So I was like, whatever, you know, origin. I'm going to represent. I put them on. Then what Pete said, I didn't tell you this joke. He goes, he goes, yeah, you know, it is more of a stylish thing. He's like, you can pull it off. I was like, ooh, thanks, bro. <laughs> you can. And, and truly, truly. 100% true. Now, I, like, I have joggers. I'm kind of into joggers now. I even bought pants that weren't sweatpants that were the, that jogger that style. And I'm not joking. Yeah. yeah. A guy own. came to me on the mat. He's like, hey, man, I was hoping you'd sign this book for me. Um, but I got to tell you, I bought joggers yesterday. <laughs> and I was like, I can't do it, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not signing it. You can't sign it. I laughed and I signed it. But, yeah. but the so, thing uh, is, they're, they're not only, okay, so you have joggers, which I dig, because if you do really jog in them, like they are, it's like they're ergonomically kind of made for actual jogging because they don't flap on the bottom or whatever. Right, and right, they right. give you room in the Is hips. that the difference exactly. between joggers and like sweats or something, yeah. sweatpants. What's Which the difference? I'm not mad, just the, the shape. So, and this, I'm just assuming this I know by that the, the way. shape is different, but what is the difference? They're, they're more slimmer on the uh, yeah. They're slimmer on the legs, and then usually they're a little bit more roomy in the hips, right? Like in the in the are the knees roomy at all? They're more roomy for me. I get it. Yeah. Anyway, they're functionally sound, is what I'm saying. Yeah. But you add that, in which I've said this, I don't know what ratio cotton to whatever you guys are using but i've named them officially by the way okay the most comfortable pants in the world the most comfortable pants in the world it's a bold Straight statement up. yeah dude i'm taking that can i take that Bruh, it's yours you're the man you know what goes good with the joggers is our hoodies and you know and i i tell you i walked in last night to the training it was last night and i was like oh Jago's wearing a hoodie and i was like and i was on the other side of the room and oh. i was like that's a good looking hoodie. Oh. And I was like, but it's all black. I was like, what the frick is he wearing? <laughs> I was like, he brought a hoodie, a, a, a different hoodie. And then I started walking closer and then you started coming over and I was like, oh, it's a black on black origin <laughs> hoodie. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's pretty badass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I keep hoodies for a really long time. Yeah. Like t-shirts. Yeah. Only they don't wear out as quick, right? So you can wear a hoodie for a long time. Time. That new hoodie we've developed, though, out of the Infinity Fleece. That's probably going to be a lot. That's going to be even longer than normal. <laughs> yeah, last forever. Uh, what else we got? We got supplements, some joint warfare, some krill oil, some discipline. Did you know that joint warfare for Origin is the top selling product across the board? 
when it comes to like all jujitsu, all nutrition, everything we make, joint warfare has the greatest impact on humanity than any other product. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. It's an unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. No, people are into it, myself included. Myself included. And, uh, you know, uh, B. Little was telling me that. I love how we call it B. Little. Yeah. You, when you <laughs> say that, what it does to my brain, I mean, it's like eating ice cream. Just yeah, say yeah. B. Little one time for me. Yeah. Just, no, I was talking to B. Little. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, just now I just caught that, I like, that B. Shit. Little, like, okay, it's B. Period Little, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. you're Brian Littlefield. Right Brian now Littlefield. I just caught the fact that it's like the same as, like, B. Little, like you're belittling somebody. Oh, I'm just catching that, that right, right now. now. I didn't know I that. I thought that that's what? why it was so funny. Dude, I didn't know. I just never thought it was so funny, dude. <laughs> oh, shit. Why did you even think it was funny without knowing that it was belittle? Because I thought it made him, like, small. Oh, a, a physically you meant, you meant like B little? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, like B, like, like because could, because his name was. You could be strong, you could or say, you could be little. <laughs> exactly, or you could be little. So oh, I was like, it's like, like you're telling him go be little, yeah, yeah, go yeah, be yeah, little yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. No, God, I yeah. always thought of it as like be little. Like yeah, I'm yeah, be little with you. Little. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you want to hear something great? I had someone come up to me at camp, and we were in the cafeteria like one of the first days, and he comes up to me, and he's kind of got his head down a little bit, and he's like. Hey, and I was like, hey, and I thought he was going to say something like, it's great to meet you because that's, you know, my ego, whatever. Yeah, yeah, sure. And he's like, is B Little here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes, he is. I'm so glad you asked that. Uh, Anyways, good. what were we talking about, B Little? Uh, uh, B Little. Oh, yeah. Um, well, he, he, just, he just said, if someone has to choose between joint warfare and krill oil, he said, if you're doing if you're trying to recover something joint warfare joint warfare if you're doing maintenance krill oil because the krill will maintenance other areas as well so anyways that's that i i yeah you can i i and what's unfortunate for me is when people ask me which one i don't know what to tell them because i've been taking you know i take them both all the time in pretty heavy doses. Yes. <laughs> so anyways, uh, also Mulk Train. Big time. Mulk Train. train. Still on the Mulk Train, by the way. Yeah. Obviously, because there's plenty of Mulk to go around over here. Yeah. Well, we do, thought do you so. Think, do you think he'll go off the Mulk Train ever? I, I don't see it happening. So no. Pete and I just had a conversation because we were in a rush to get down here to do this. And we kind of... We we, we kind of we we know we we collided <laughs> we collided at the chocolate milk uh, <laughs> station up at the cafeteria and we did and too. I was like yeah I don't have time to go down and make a milk right now I'm just gonna drink this and he's like yeah there's something about chocolate milk I would literally a hundred percent rather have milk peanut butter or milk chocolate mint or chocolate peanut butter a hundred percent rather have that than 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 chocolate milk and regular chocolate milk hundred yeah, percent yeah. you can take you can taste the nasty sugar corn syrup when you drink regular chocolate milk yeah you, you get yeah it's it seems gross. like like when you get used to the milk it's like it kind of brings do you it drink up soda more. you drink soda you do from you time drink, to yeah, time from, do you ever drink like coca-cola um no i don't drink coca-cola ever what do you drink do you, fanta okay yeah, yeah, same thing. so you same guys thing. won't know if you ever stop drinking that, <laughs> if you ever stop drinking sodas if you ever stop drinking sodas and then you go back and have one it tastes so syrupy and yeah. sweet yeah to me that's what chocolate milk tastes like now. It's got this nasty, and it's not. It's not. Doesn't taste sweeter. It tastes more syrupy. Yeah. Milk train. 
Yeah, yeah, Stanley, it's like if you drink like a Coke or a Fanta in your case, like right after training. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Instead of like a water. Or something. I, and I get, I do got to say, like I don't drink a lot of soda uh, oh, okay. at all. So it's does it not taste my bad house. when you taste it? Does it uh, taste no, syrupy? No, there's something about Fanta. Okay. That which you one? The great one. The great one. Pineapple. Grape. grape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All day. It's, it's something day. about it. It's undesignated days. Yeah. Day. So like, I'm not even kidding. Once every two months. Uh, my son, my, we, we went, my kids never drink soda. And when my son was like six or seven years old, I brought him to the team when I was at trade at, and we did like a monster mash, which is in the, in the team is a monster mash is when you set up just like obstacle course and then a run and then a boat carry and just set up all these crazy things and they'll just do all these weird stuff. And one of the stations was you had to drink a whole can of Coke mm. through a straw. Oh, and then you, then you had to like do a sprint over the berm or whatever. And so my son's doing all this stuff with me and he gets the Coke and he's like, looks at me like, can I drink it? And I was like, bro, this is the team's get some, you <laughs> drink it quick. And so he like drinks it down and as he's drinking it, you can see him like his f- initial face is like, Ooh. And then right. it just like his face just goes all like, and then he just looks like turns like kind of pale and you could see he was feeling it wasn't feeling like too good. much. So he still doesn't drink Coke. Yeah, man. That's a good introduction. No, 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 no sodas. Did I think we've got a, a mulk movement in Farmington, Maine. What's the mulk Makes movement? Sense. Well, you know, is we've got the kids that come in because my kids are in junior high and high school. Oh, and they yeah. come in and then they bring their friends in. Oh, yeah. And every time they see me, they just like kind of look at me. They and, want some mulk? Yeah. For what? mulk, they're like, and they'll be like, that mulk is so good. <laughs> they're like, yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? They're hanging around down underneath the bridge drinking mulk. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what do you guys do tonight? Go into the circle to drink mulk. <laughs> uh, uh, a immersion camp 2019. We sold this one out, which was kind of new. Yeah. Um, there was actually one of the one of the girls here. I was talking to her, and she's all fired up. And her brother, she's like, my brother's so mad he couldn't come. And I said, oh, why couldn't he come? She's like, it sold out. So yeah. can you imagine? Brother, sister. Sister gets that to sucks. go. Brother doesn't get to go. So They didn't year. prioritize and execute yeah. soon enough. Are we going to be able to get more people next year? Yes. You know, the agreement we had with the contract with the camp limited us to a certain amount. Uh, but talking with the owner of Camp Laurel, he's like, "You, we can expand more for you guys to make that happen. Because they, they actually want us here because... It's just it's great for them. It's great for us. It's a. It's a. It's not like they're taking a care of a bunch of kids. Let's put it that way. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's gotta be a bummer. Uh, so look for that at Origin. All those things. OriginMain.com. That's where you can find all that cool Origin stuff, and support a little something called America while you're doing it. <laughs> Get some. Yep. Also. Jocko has a store similar to Jujitsu Operations Camp. No. For killers in <laughs> operations. Jiu-Jitsu so, offense for combat killing operations. All right, there you go. Jiu-Jitsu offense for combat killing operations. So yeah. in that same vein, Jocko has a store. He named it. Jockostore.com. Yeah, yeah. So it makes more sense now even to me, and I've been in the game for a while. Anyway, Jocko Store. That's where you can get, if you want, these shirts that say discipline equals freedom. Jocko's head on it says good you know, all this stuff. You want to represent represent the game in that way. Awesome American-made rash guards. Rash guards as yeah. well yeah. that keep it real. And here's the thing. People think you need a rash guard for jujitsu. Rash guards are for every lifestyle athlete on yeah. the planet. 
It's it's whatever you're doing, whether it's biking, hiking, swimming, yeah. running. You or need if compression base layer. If you're John Donahue, are you straight up going to a wedding? <laughs> oh, <in> that <laughs> <laughs> that's that how, guy, man. Yeah, he's in the game. He's in the game. You know what? Reminds me. Let's send my brother John Donaher some rash guards. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'd love we'll make to make it happen. Get yep. him in some some. You know, give him some selection. Yeah, to deal yeah, with yeah. a little bit more selection, <laughs> better than less. Also, yeah. hoodies and hats, whatnot, other stuff on there. Good stuff. Cool. On top of that, there's this podcast which you can subscribe to. You can also subscribe to Pete's podcast, which is called Hands in Daylight. Hands in Daylight. Yeah, it's we're on episode thirty-nine, talking about America, work ethic, grit, jujitsu, all of it. Yeah, I copied you. It's all good, man. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, it's a little bit different, but uh, it's like a 50, under an hour, and we talk a lot about business too, and getting through tough patches and what you, we're dealing with. You don't talk about human atrocities for four hours at a no. time? Okay, so no. I guess you didn't Yeah, a little me. bit different then. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, and, that's, and that's you with your co-host, Belittle. Be All right. <laughs> uh, hey, also the Warrior Kid Podcast. So that one, four kids, and you'll see when you listen to it, it's for everybody. Uncle Jake has lessons for everybody. Warrior Kid Podcast, Ask Uncle Jake. Also some stories from Uncle Jake that explain how Uncle Jake got his values in life. I love the running one. Yeah. 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 And you're like looking around, you're just like, oh, yeah. snap. Yeah. That's that's, <laughs> that's that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, what else? YouTube channel. We got a YouTube channel. And if you want to see Echo's legit videos, with that then sure. then subscribe to the youtube channel enhanced videos mm. all that stuff get that done youtube sure jockopodcast.com or no jockopodcast channel yeah it's easy to find Echo, you, you have a gift my friend you are a true artist your your work is freaking awesome thanks bro yeah well that's kind of subject to people's opinion yeah that is a my opinion very, is very important yeah yeah as a as, <laughs> a, as another artist hey i yeah. value it big time mm, you, we've, so got we're creative, go we've got creators yeah. over here yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be in the group you got to pick a scab yeah bro. so we can be blood brothers yeah. actually jaco is surprisingly creative maybe mm. not like it in the brain kind of thing real simple i get it and that's cool. Nah, he's extremely creative. He designed a few a few things though. Like you've designed things. Like you, he, I like actually drew it out. Really? It was, it looked can like, you draw? No. Can you draw? No. You've the never seen me no. draw. I, yeah. Well, what well, well, of course I have. What I drew for you, I drew on PowerPoint. Yeah, with that your left drawing, hand, bro. Yeah, I did, I, I, I agree. You drew not for me too. I just remember what I draw for you. <laughs> You did draw for me on some kind of packaging or something. Yeah, on the packaging, you're like, no, how about like this? And yep. you like, you just drew it out. Remember, you're like, that go. took me like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the concepts are like kind of solid, yeah, though. Yeah. See what I'm saying? No, no, like, no, no, it's good. It's, he he yeah. understands composition and color theory innately. Oh dang, dang. that deep, bro. I wasn't really no, for, sure, for, for real. For real, no, he does. He understands those things Cred innately. Credit, yeah, cred. So uh, you got to give cred. Hey, cred is can you guys be quiet? I'm over here innately understanding color theory. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna need some time by myself. Why do you think when I walked in, I grabbed this folder and I was like, that would make a good t-shirt or yeah. hat. Wait, why? I did because make, you understand it or because he understands because it? whoever did that understands I did, it. I did that. The Jocko oh. podcast. Well, actually, we both did that. The Jocko podcast yeah. symbol is mine. Yeah. I made it. Yeah. And I remember, this is what's good about Echo. 
I go, well, are you going to like do anything to it? And he goes, nope. Just leave it how it is. Yeah. A box with your hand and a microphone. Yeah. We're yeah. good. Yeah, it made sense. All simple. This, I made, it's a, this is part of a sticker yeah, that he cut sticker. off and put it right there. So we both gotcha. did that. See what I'm saying? Okay. He was like, hey, that sticker, that's not going to fit on my folder. Let me cut it off. Boom. Fits. See what I'm saying? <laughs> and you want it to be a shirt. Pete Roberts, the artist. Yeah. Composition, Credit, color one theory. more time. Also, anyway, you, you like those out, words? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they are good words. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, also, if you're working out, you're on the path. You're working out, yes. right, Pete? You working out? I, I I have been, but I got off the working out train because I swelled up too much. Yeah. So well, now I just drink milk and train jujitsu. You milked up too much. Yeah, yeah. You, you I re- did. I did seriously. You realize you can switch up the workout so you don't. Bulk you're, up you've been teaching me some things about that. We were talking the other day about. Yeah. Metcons. Metcons. Yeah, yeah, Metcons. So I was talking to Charlie too. Spaniard. Charlie yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're talking we were talking about on it. Anyway, my kettlebells, all pretty much all my new workout stuff. Like this switching up from bulking up, all of it, all on it stuff. Are those are kettlebells rings. made cast iron. Cast They're made out of cast iron. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. cast. Yeah. Yeah. But I got the cool ones, the primal bells and whatnot. That's the dope ones. That's a pretty cool process. Have you ever seen how that works? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, when I was in college, we, myself and my friends built a foundry at mm. the college. Yeah. And what you did is you start to make those kettlebells. You actually start with a, a wax. It's wax. Mm-hmm. And you dip the wax. You, you make these little uh, vents. Yeah, like air holes. Yep, air holes. Mm-hmm. And then you dip the wax in what's called slurry. And then you melt the wax out of the slurry and you fill it with molten metal. Mm. And it and it cools and you molten. crack it open. Molten molten, molten metal. I think it's said molten. Yeah. And then you end up <laughs> then you end up with something badass. So yeah. yeah. Like they kill it. Yeah. And they balance them. It's like, yeah, it's a pro it's pretty because cool. It's one thing to be like, okay, here's a perfectly round ball. You know, mm-hmm. and it's all balanced. You know, because you got to swing that thing around. Mm-hmm. You can't be swinging it one way, and then the other way you hurt yourself. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they make you know they make the artistic ones, but they're still balanced. That's deep. Well, anyway. now I know I get it. It all yeah. comes together now. Yeah. Plus, you, they you're artistic, up. so you need the artistic kettlebells. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely I right. Well, they have other cool stuff on there. Switch up your workout if you want to bulk up while you're moking up, like Pete Roberts. You want to trim down and slim down. Just anyway, you know what I, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Onnit.com slash Jocko get you some good stuff, real good stuff. Also, psychological way. warfare. If you need a little bit of a little bit of an assist during a moment of weakness, you can get psychological warfare on iTunes, Google Play, MP3 platforms worldwide. You can hear me talking about how to overcome your moment of weakness. Jocko White Tea, available on Amazon. Cans, tasty. Tea bags, dry, hot, cold. Drink it however you want. The good thing about it is the reason, main reason why people want it is because you can deadlift eight thousand pounds as soon as you have one sip. Yeah, you so, can. You could probably move one of those looms. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. You drink we'll drink some white tea and get that done. Uh, books, Way the Warrior Kid, Mark's Mission, and Mark's Second. Mission. I've signed at this camp a ton of both books and it's so awesome to have parents say what they say about their kids after reading those books yeah it's the most impactful thing i've ever heard about for children that's a bold statement as far as kids behavior changing in a positive direction give it a try weigh the warrior kid that's book one mark's mission book two get it for some kids that you know 
That was pretty cool. I've signed a lot of books here where like, oh, you know, I just signed one today. Hey, the kid's parents are splitting up. He's leaving. He's, you know, he's 10 years old. What, you, can you sign this for him? Like, yeah, I'll sign this thing for him all day long. Because what's that kid going through? Get the kid a book. It's going to give him direction. It's going to show him the path. And it's a, it's a positive path. It's a path that everybody would want their kids to be on and would want any kid to be on. I don't care who you are. You're going to want your kids on this path. Um, extreme ownership. We talked about it a bunch today. You know, Pete, uh, Pete talked about how, you know, you've used it. I think you gave great examples and you've also seen dichotomy of leadership, dichotomy, dichotomy of leadership available for pre-order right now. If you want first to dish, do you know, I was thinking <laughs> yeah. about like extreme ownership, the book, and then dichotomy of leadership, mm-hmm. the book, mm-hmm. you know what that's like? It's like, you ever watched the movie major league? You ever watched that movie? No. I think I have. Charlie Sheen, Wesley Snipes. They go on, you know, Cleveland Indians. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yes, I have. So this is what happened. Charlie Sheen, he comes out of jail, whatever. It's like a ragtag group of guys. They they put together a pro team, baseball. Mm -hmm. Cleveland Indians. Charlie Sheen comes in. He has the fastest fastball ever. Mm -hmm. But his control. Like he, you know, he's turn, ripping turn, him in the shoulders and the yeah, head. Yeah, you know, it turns out he 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 just needs glasses, whatever. But so he had all this speed and power, power, but his control hasn't come around. That's what extreme ownership is. But you get the dichotomy of leadership. That's the control. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you get extreme ownership. You got the power now, but you need the control too. That's the dichotomy of leadership. Tune it in. See what I'm saying? That you really may have been the own. most sensible thing I've heard <laughs> Echo said with reference to a movie. There you Nicely go. Nicely done. There I'll you give go. it to Boom. you. It's a good metaphor. I'll give it you, to you. You really, I just, I don't, and here's the thing. I'm not going to say you can't own one without the other. What I'm going to say is this. If you don't own one without the other, you're doing yourself a disservice because there are two tools that work together. You know, I mean, you need both tools uh, or you're not going to fully, you know, become who you want to become as a leader. So get the two tools. That's it. It's easy. Agree. Agree. Plus, you want to control that fastball. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> power that, is good, but power, power and is control. Good. Power and control. Uh, hey, speaking of leadership, I got a leadership consulting company. It's called Echelon Front. We solve problems through leadership. That's what we do. We do it all day, every day. Somewhere in the world, someone's got Echelon Front in their company working, aligning leadership. It's me. It's Leif, JP Donnell, Dave Burke, Flynn Cochran, Mike Sorelli. Echelonfront.com. Come and get it. Also, we got the muster. The next muster is Muster 006 in San Francisco, October 17th and 18th. They've all sold out. The immersions camp sold out. If you want to come, register at extremeownership.com. You've been to the muster. Yeah. Sum it up. Phenomenal. Sum it up. Uh, Open eyes and open ears. And I took my team to the muster. And. It blew my expectations, first of all, because I needed them to get on the same path I was on. And we used it as an excuse to display what we were doing. But we so we went there for one reason and we left with a completely for a different, completely different reason. And my father in law, Joe, came also and he took those those skills. He's he's the he's the town road commissioner. He took those skills he learned and he's been dealing with the problems for 20 years and those problems he's been dealing with for 20 years 
was him. And he solved those problems and he's a different person. Dang. Yeah. Straight road. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great, and a lot of people do that. A lot of people come to the muster with their teams. Mm -hmm. They get everyone aligned in one shot and it's solid. And then once you leave, you're not on your own struggling to keep that mindset. You got other people backing you up and reinforcing you. So that's muster 006. Also, we got roll call 001, September 21st in Dallas, Texas. If you wanna come to that, you be, that of course it's gonna sell out too. We're getting close. That is for uniform personnel. So military, law enforcement, border patrol, firefighters, paramedics, first responders, everywhere. Come to that again, registeredextremeownership.com. And now we have EF Overwatch where we are taking companies that need leaders and we're taking the associates and comrades that we had in special operations and in combat aviation and we are bringing those leaders into the civilian sector. So if you are either a spec ops combat aviation person that is looking for work after you leave the military or your company that needs leadership, go to efoverwatch.com. And until we see you on the mats of justice or at the muster or at the roll call or at the immersion camp in 2019, mm. if you want to continue to roll with us virtually, we're on the interwebs. Pete is at Origin BJJ on Twitter. He's at Origin USA on Instagram, and he's at Origin on that face. That's Facebook word. On those platforms, Echo is Echo Charles, and I am at Jockawunk. Echo, anything else, brother? Nothing. Super fun to have you on again. Thank you both. I was, uh, you know, a little bit nervous about coming on today, but I'm glad I did and that you forced me to. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really appreciate you inviting me back on. It means a lot, and man, it's just awesome, awesome to be able to share uh, what we're doing with the masses and have you here at camp and you know, helping out to build this movement. Stoked to be here and thanks for coming on and I'm sure you're gonna be on again in due course next year at a minimum. And okay, so lastly, obviously, thanks everyone in the military out there making sacrifices every day to literally keep us free. And thanks to police, law enforcement, correctional officers, firefighters, border patrol, paramedics, and all other first responders here at home. Thanks for your sacrifices to keep us safe. And everyone else out there, you know, someone at the immersion camp said that jujitsu could seem frustrating because you try things and they just don't work and then you practice and you drill and you try them again and the things don't work and it said person just said that jujitsu can seem so frustrating and i said jujitsu just doesn't seem frustrating it is frustrating it is frustrating it's a grind it's hard it's overwhelming it's infuriating it's irritating and it can also be very disappointing and in all those ways jujitsu is just like life life is going to be hard it's going to be frustrating it's going to be disappointing it's going to be overwhelming but like those settlers in New England, you keep at it.
and you keep working and you keep driving and pushing and grinding and then you get a little something you see a little bit of light and you make a little bit of progress and then you dig in and you do it again and jujitsu isn't easy and neither is life and that is what makes them both so worth doing with everything you've got so get out of bed shut off the TV impose your will on the world and when you get beat down by the world get back up again and get after it and until next time this is Peter Roberts and Echo and Jocko out